nails, hair, hips, heels, ass, fat, lips, real, purse, full, big bills, bitch, I'm a big deal, legs, legs, face, eyes, thin, waist, thick, thighs, you. Hi everybody, welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, owner-founder of Be There in Five, the company, which I feel like I talk about at length every week. Head to be there in five.com slash about if you want to hear my story. I also am the author of Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star, a modern digital fairy tale of fame, fortune, and followers. That's the perfect coffee table piece of social commentary. It's the perfect thing to make people laugh at a baby shower. I'm told it's the funniest children's parody book since Go the F to Sleep, which we all know everybody buys at every baby shower ever. So why not change it up and get your favorite Instagram loving friend a book that makes fun of influencers by illustrating what nursery rhyme characters instagram accounts would look like it's it's fun for the whole family you were just listening to todrick hall's new ugh, I, I think his new album's so great i am such a fan of his this was called nails hair hips heels listen to it in full on spotify it's to die glitter is a great song he has a lot of good stuff and i just thought it was great to set the mood the music video is so good too and he's obviously a bff of taylor And he has eyes like honey and just seems like an all-around fun, nice guy who is making great music that I feel like doesn't get enough mainstream acknowledgement. So yes, I am a a corporate marketer turned accidental entrepreneur turned small business owner by trade. I am an author by trade. I am a podcaster, however, by choice for fun. It's become more of a job recently, and I'm so incredibly grateful for it. I've uh, my whole life really moonlighted, literally, after 2 a.m. in the depths of the internet forums as a pop culture expert. And this podcast, the same name as my company, Be There in Five, is designed to talk about all the things that I'm curious about that make me lose track of time and be in a full-blown sprint to my destination, texting my friends I'll be there in five when I am, in fact, 10 miles away. I love to use this forum to have mindful discussions about mostly mindless topics, and explore celebrity gossip, pop culture, the 90s, 2000s zeitgeist, current events, observational humor, the royals, Taylor Swift, my entrepreneurial experience, talking small biz, talking life, mental health, very little wellness and self-care around these parts, but that's okay. Plenty of people have podcasts about that. Very little true crime here as well, and although I hate to admit that because, you know, I'm not above, like, renaming this podcast something like murdery but also cutesy like like murder and macaroons or I don't know to just like get the listens to rolling in because again in my category I unfortunately am competing with like Dirty John and live and die in LA and pretty sure I'm not gonna pass those but hey I could try I mean I think I'm gonna name this episode something true crime adjacent just to like experiment and I try to think of different things to say tweak about myself about the podcast something to muse over and I think what I've never maybe explicitly said is that above all the reasons I started this podcast that are more topic focused, I honestly am here because I love podcasts. My relationship with podcasts started when I became self-employed, which was exciting at first, but then quickly spiraled into a lonely day-to-day that was only remedied by feeling like I'm in conversations with other people through podcasts. It's kind of this great company that music or television never really provided me. And I think there's a lot of people similar to me who pass time or complete their most mundane tasks to the tune of a podcast. And I honestly, I love the idea that you can share stories and make people laugh and exchange ideas through a a stripped down content platform. 
they kind of retain the purest form of communication that technology often hinders the most, right? Like all we have here in its purest form is the spoken word, something that's not encumbered by emojis and slang and abbreviations and all of the things that kind of get lost in a lot of our communication. And I think what's so cool about podcasts that I felt with you guys over the past year and a half is you kind of like you really have to develop a relationship and it's not one sided like I want you to come here, but also it's totally on me to be consistent and to be vulnerable and to bring whatever it is I'm talking about to life because my voice is all I have here. I can't fall back on visuals, on theatrics, on clickbait schemes. I And I can trick people once, but I can't trick them to come back. And I can't trick anybody to like me or like my personality or my interests. And to me, that's there's such freedom in that. In, in being the host, I have absolutely no choice but to be myself and to pour, really put myself out there and hope eventually I'll find enough like-minded individuals who will come back around. And as a listener on the other side of all the podcasts I listen to, to me, for every friend that I can't find to share my weird interests with, there's a podcast for that. And I think that there's kind of freedom on both ends in that sense. The requirement of the host to be themselves, to really produce anything consistent and authentic and that people can connect with, that therefore gives the listener permission to surrender to their niche interests. It's this amazing, reciprocal, accessible creator-audience relationship that doesn't exist, in my opinion, in any other content medium. And even though I'm embarrassed, I'm sure 95% of the things I've said on here, I truly cannot listen to my old episodes. I don't even know what I'm talking about half the time. I, I absolutely love it. It's such a bright spot in my week, and I hope it is yours. And I am excited to keep continuing to try to make this into something bigger and more sustainable and something that can really add value. And with that said, I'm sure a lot of you, I don't know if you just listened to this podcast, but I think I find that people who listen to podcasts in general listen to several and I feel like I need to tell you what I listen to because, I don't know, I, I've i noticed that sometimes like on other pages, like you're not supposed to bring up other podcasts because if it's your podcast page, you like don't want to encourage people listening to other ones. But I fundamentally disagree. And I think the more audience overlap and the more support there is within the community, the more we can guest on each other's podcasts and be involved in whatever way. It's like anytime somebody in the digital realm wins, we all win. Anytime somebody by trade, who's not an announcer, radio personality host by trade, can successfully develop and monetize a podcast, that is just, it's its a proof of concept that I am absolutely here for. And I want people to support other awesome podcasts that I love and have gotten me through the lonely days of self-employment, especially before I had my own. Okay, I love like some of the the bigger pop culture ones, like I love Bitch Sesh, Casey and Danielle are life. I love Juicy Scoop with Heather McDonald. I love Jackie Schimmel, The Bitch Bible. I love um, some of the ones I've been on. I have Reality uh, Life with Kate Casey. I did a stint for 90 Day Fiance last year. Love Girls Gotta Eat. God bless them. A lot of you, I think, are from Girls Gotta Eat. They are just like crushing it. Um, the Morning Toast is freaking crushing it. Their reach and audience loyalty is so incredible and far and above I don't know. I think it's pretty unprecedented in terms of it's not a weekly podcast. It's like a daily show, which is something not a lot of people have done that aren't in an official broadcast capacity. 
And I think it's incredibly impressive and it's very entertaining to have content every single day. I love a lot of the interviews on the Skinny Confidential, him and her. I think the Bostics are marketing geniuses and I'm obsessed with how Lauren talks about not caring so much about popularity and followers, but she just wants interesting people who had, can add value, who have something to say. I think it's fun to listen to their couple's dynamic and also they do a good job getting more from people that are kind of closed off. Like I thought their interview with Julia and Thomas from Gal Meets Glam was really fascinating and made me respect them and what they did with the dress line so much more. I love, I mean, I, so actually I listen to a ton of Sirius XM. I think it's worth the money. I listen to, I've talked about Howard Stern a ton. I love how he approaches conversation like a true art form. I think he's a genius. I mean, I love the, you know, post 2000s era Howard with Beth Stern you know, fosters animals and cares about feelings. I'm, I'm kind of into that version of him. I, you know, I love Michelle Collins. I've been on her show. She, I just think she's wonderful. So funny. The ability to seamlessly, seamlessly talk through three hours a day and be entertaining and effervescent and to work with guests that you may or may not know or may or may not connect with, but make it seem on the listener's end, like they're your best friend you never met is a true skill of a host that needs a natural curiosity that a lot of hosts don't have. And I respect her tre tremendously. I love Jeff Lewis live because it's the train wreck I never knew I needed. He's so unpolished. He's so unfiltered. He like talks bad about serious leadership on the air and it's so cringy and I love it. And I have enjoyed listening to him become more self-actualized as He's endured the breakup with Gage, which is incredibly sad, but I think he's in a better place now. Patty Stanger set him up with a new guy. He's gotten in trouble for, you know, having reading ads sexually on the air. Lately, he's been, you know, talking badly about this one, um, like, producer that he works with who keeps leaving the room. And he's, like, calling him out by name. And, I mean, it's it's like, it truly, it, 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 it's real it's real time drama that Flipping Out was giving me, but like eight months too late, and I'm so on board with this radio concept better. It's funny, I was just going to read them off, but as I say them, I feel like I want to give my two cents too. Um, I, I mean, I have great friends with podcasts, Jessica Sturdy along for the ride. She, she is so wonderful in the way she talks about um, her journey as a blogger and mental health and wellness. Bad on paper, if you guys were at the show last week, as I talked about, that was so much fun. They are centered on books, but like a book club, you don't really need to read the book. You can still go for the company and it's two best friends bantering. And I got to hang out with them last week and had so much fun. And um, they have more tour dates coming up in D.C. and Nashville and Boston and Charleston. Um, so definitely follow them. I will dabble in Here to Make Friends which is a Bachelor-specific recap show. I specifically love when they do the season premieres and finales with Allison Williams because I love listening to her talk. Um, I love Watch What Crappens. I kind of go in and out of that depending on what shows I listen to. It's That show is one that I find that people think they don't like at first, but then they'll love. It's a little bit insular with its inside jokes, and you kind of have to have listened for a while. But like, trust me when I say listening to their Southern Charm, Summer House, Vanderpump Rules recaps especially i like those actually better than the housewives sometimes because their impressions are so dead on it, it, it makes any road trip fly by even my husband will listen to their recaps because they're so funny i love everything iconic with danny pellegrino he is more well pop culture verse than even i am and i like to think of myself as somewhat of a 90s subject matter expert but he pulls things out of thin air that i'm like slow clap i mean he 
brings up a clip of Celine Dion featuring Barbara Streisand, Tell Him, and I'm like, this is the song I never needed to hear again, but that I absolutely needed to hear again. For more serious ones, I don't listen to any true crime, like I've said, but, you know, I love NPR, I love Fresh Air, I love Reply All, I love How I Built This, I love Invisibilia, I love listening to um, Conan and Dax Shepard for some of the celebrity ones. I, I mean, guys, I could keep going. I listen to so much freaking stuff. It's I, I just wanted to I wanted to highlight the core ones that have probably given me the most entertainment over the years. But I've also there's also great ones to dabble into that are more wellness, self-care, spiritual, almost 30, forever 35. That's re- that's so retrograde. I mean, there's like I, the list goes on and on. I'm stoked for Heather McMahon to have a podcast. I'd listen to her read the phone book. I just, you know, I think podcasts are amazing content and I want everyone to do well. And, uh, you know, whenever I've found a new podcast, it's because somebody else has mentioned or been on the other podcast. And I think it's hard to find stuff out of nowhere that kind of aligns with what you like. And if you're anything like me, that's a cross section of what I like. Uh, Again, not very news heavy. If I want news, I'll listen to NPR. I get their daily podcast that's like up first. And kind of gives you a rundown. Um, if I want something that's more of a story, uh, it depends. If it's too true crimey, I'm not interested. But I listen to Elizabeth Holmes' A Dropout or The Dream about the MLMs. It just kind of depends. So if, if when I get into things, maybe I'll give you an update every you know couple months or so when I find new ones. But that's what I've got for you today. Just a casual 30 episodes. What's great about podcasts is though they're like evergreen. You don't have, there's not the pressure of like catching up on your DVR or like missing you know you can't watch next week week's episode because of spoilers and whatever i just love like there's like continuity but it's not in a way that makes it not okay to like skip around or go backwards and i just i don't know it's it's it is the best so yeah i've been enjoying changing up the format a little bit i appreciate your patience as we try out interviews solo trying to see what works, look at the numbers, figure out the best way to move forward. And also by we, I mean me. I don't know why I do that, I guess, to sound more legit, but it makes it sound like I have this, you know, team behind me. Cute doting assistants like people have on reality shows that like plan their parties and get their dry cleaning. Honestly, I think that one of the things about every Housewives franchise that never ceases to amaze me, that reminds me, stars, they are not just like us. They have party planners. To have a party planner, to throw a party whose accoutrements are so detailed they would require that of a separate planner's attention who you pay separately is such a level I I could never dream of in a thing that I think is so funny. Most notably is Kyle's very sweaty party planner, uh, obviously who's going to check me boo, Sheree's party planner, I can't remember his name, Jill Zarin had Brad, Uh, I don't know that weird redhead kind of heavy breathing assistant Bethany had that loved food trucks that she took to get his eyebrows waxed. I don't know if he planned parties. He was a character. I would say that party planners and like low rent fashion shows in non-fashion capital cities are two great hallmarks of the Housewives franchise. Why are there so many fashion shows in Atlanta, in the New Jersey suburbs? I mean, and then why are you so mad when your friend can't come who has a good reason and then the third hallmark of a Housewives or really any reality show franchise is that you have to go debrief and talk about how mad you are at your friend in some like small fashion boutique where you have a heart to heart. There's always reality characters having a heart to heart while like 
fiddling with jewelry or sunglasses on a center console table at a tiny boutique in this town we've never heard of that clearly is paying money to be on the show. And it's not like a Gwens of Mount Pleasant obvious, you know, product placement sitch. It's like Buttons by Stewart. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think I was thinking Kyle by Aileen too. I don't know if Buttons by Stewart exists, but honestly, it sounds like a place I would shop. What was I talking about? Why did I bring up party planners? Oh, I was saying I wanted to sound like I have a large team behind me. At one point, I did have like five people working for me, but as I discussed in my how I built this, I didn't. I actually do not like having people work for me. I like to work with people and be like at the same level working toward a common goal, but I don't, I'm not a great manager. So anyway, I got in the habit of saying we, I guess. And I wanted to clarify because sometimes I follow influencers, especially, and they seem to have so many like assistants and people working for them. I'm like, my, my wheels just turn. I'm like, are they paid hourly? Are they salary? salaried? Are they part-time? Are they getting school credit? How do you afford this? How do you calculate their ROI towards your business? What do you do if you get too close and then it becomes awkward? I've worked, like, when owning my own venture, I've worked with people in different capacities, and I've never taken well to the, like, assistant vibe. Like, I've loved working in partnerships with people, and I love being at the same level, and I'm working with someone awesome now who's helping me grow the podcast, and we're friends and working together, not one for the other necessarily. And that's, like, my sweet spot. And when I, when, I, when I watch people have all of these assistants and people working for them, I'm just amazed. Like, do they get you coffee? Do they do your dishes? Like, run menial errands? I think, like, one of my biggest issues with managing people is that you need to free up your time to uh, contribute to more value-added things to the business when you're leading it. So you have to kind of outsource or pass the more menial tasks to somebody else. Like, I don't want to be doing those things. Why does this person want to be doing them? So then I, I worry that they hate me. And they're like, oh, my God, is she really asking me to do this? But meanwhile, they're here at their, you know, it's an at-will contract and I'm paying them. But yet I still feel bad. And I know that's more my issue than anybody else's. But I've thought about this with nannies, too. Like, I think I posted this on Instagram and a lot of you guys are wondering the same thing. I'm just, when people have these nannies, I'm like... And they, they just travel wherever they want for work. They seem to be away from home a lot. And or they bring their large amounts of children on like serious international trips. I'm like, OK, who are these nannies? How do you find ones you gel with that you, you vibe with? Do they live with you? If they don't live with you, how do you determine their hours in a way that can give you a flexible lifestyle to where you may need to stay late at work or go to an event? or whatever. And if they do live with you and they're so ingrained in your life and they travel with you and they're everywhere, what happens when they quit? Like inserting somebody new into like a family dynamic is incredibly hard and to trust somebody would be incredibly hard. And it's like, okay, when they come on trips, do you pay for absolutely everything? And if you do, do they have to work around the clock? Like be at your every whim for whatever you want to do for a vacation or do you have to set hours to be fair like you have off from this time to this time on these dates even though you're here for us and because of us and paid by us i just things with nannies are so interesting to me because i can't even imagining somebody else like in my house with greg and i to, like i don't know if like tugboat had a nanny not that he ever would if i had a kid i'm like i would feel so uncomfortable especially here in the city apartment with somebody else here and i'd be very conscious of like Am I clean? Am I likable? Like, does she feel like this is an okay job? I don't want to get 
you know, too invested and only to have her quit? How do I keep my finger on the pulse of their happiness and I'll and develop a personal relationship without being too close that I get offended if anything professional is brought up? Like, you know what I mean? Am I being crazy? This is what I think about with nannies. And I'm just amazed at jet setters with children. I think I have so many anxieties and hangups about having children and that flexibility being gone that I'm like, oh, well, you know, people do this all the time. You, you have family and you have babysitters, and you have nannies. And I'm like, but I, if I as a person have so much discomfort with managing people and telling them what to do, could I even ever operate in, in that realm? And I remember posing this question on Instagram back when I did a story about like wealthy people's nannies and fabulous jet set lifestyles. And I was like, if anybody's ever been a nanny, can you tell me like, you know, when the lines blur, blur of chores, like what is childcare? What falls under that umbrella, you know, the cooking and cleaning and whatever. And then where does it do the lines blur in terms of like menial personal assistant type tasks or things that seem under your pay grade or that are getting looped into your job that you're not really there for. And, you know, when it infiltrates your own personal life or gets too time consuming or they're asking too much, at what point do you push back without hurting the relationship? And at what point do you grow resentful? Because this entire family is your life and you, you just operate on their terms. And it, it, literally 99% of the people wrote me that nanny. They were like, oh, yeah, 100%. Eventually enough resentment builds up that you have to leave and like everything they do annoys you. And I was like, that's so disappointing. And I'm sure that's not the same for everybody. And, you know, obviously everyone's very different in terms of how they treat people. But I just thought it like what I assumed would happen if I were the nanny definitely happens in terms of like, well, you're here and I need help with a lot of stuff, not just childcare. So let me give you a bunch more to do and it take up more of your time, but I'm not necessarily paying you more, but this is a cushy job. So you should be glad to be here. And, uh, you know, you don't say anything the first five times. So you keep adding on a little bit more and a little bit more until eventually the bubble pops. It's, it's just life, you know, that's why you got to be so fully transparent with employees, with people you work with uh, from the get go, because things can get awkward so, so fast. And I just can't imagine somebody that my children were attached to up and leaving me, you know, without prior notice that would, you know, when people up and left and ghosted my doormats, I was so sad. Can't even imagine if those were like my actual children. But anyway, okay, so what have, what have I been doing this week? Um, I had a meetup last night to watch The Bachelorette at this awesome French restaurant in Chicago called Marquesa that wanted to host us and got to meet some of you, which was so much fun. I also am not cut out for planning or party hosting because like I didn't even send out the calendar invite till like five hours before. And I just am too nervous that people aren't going to come that I'm just like, I'd rather just be an attendee than uh, to plan this function. So to bring this full circle, I guess I do need a party planner. But it was so fun. And I just I don't know, like, I think it's really hard to make friends as an adult. And I've lived in the city for a while now, but for the first several years, really didn't know anybody. And it's very hard to penetrate existing friend groups, especially in the Midwest, especially in a city like Chicago, where if you're from any of the surrounding areas, most people flock to it. And you just already know a ton of people. So when you come as a transplant, it's like, I all of a sudden incredibly difficult because what we're once effortless spoon-fed friendships through some sort of commonality, be it college or a club or high school or a hometown or a sports league, now is a free-for-all of, you know, you sit down and you don't really have that much baseline in common. So you just have to like connect based on who you are as people. Because And also, if you don't have a lot of mutual friends, people talk about people, whether gossipy or not. 
And it's just been an interesting journey over the years, making friends empirically, you know, just as two people trying to connect on topics that they bring up out of thin air. And I think, too, as you get busier and you have spouses and or kids and work and your life's busier, it's just impossible to get to that depth that you once could at a like long drunken night in a sleepover in college or over laughing deliriously studying for a test, you know, in the library with your friends or your study group or whatever. Like, I think of all the amazing bonding experiences that you have in college to get close with people fast. And that sort of expedited friend making is in the absence of going on like a vacation or retreat or some kind together is incredibly hard to make. And as I've always said, when I've talked about this, like, I just want to skip to the good part. Like, I want to skip past the pleasantries, the discuss discussion of acquaintances, the, oh, maybe are you available on this date or that date? And like, there's so much discomfort in making a friend because I think both people just are like, I don't know if the other person's that into me. And I think I, I'll be a little bit reserved or I'll hold back a little because I'm like, oh, God, I feel like I'm so annoying because I'll ask like really intense questions. And as I've said before, I'm not very good at party talk. I just want to know your hopes, dreams, fears and regrets. And so it creates this weird dynamic of like, do they or don't they like me? And all of a sudden I'm just like, I, you know, I just back off because I'm like, I don't want to be disappointed or to feel self-conscious about reaching out to somebody when really it's not there. It's just a function of like we're two busy people having trouble making plans and we're probably both not at the top of our thought processes you know so it's um anyways all that to say I just have a lot of thoughts on like how it's been to make friends and how even when you do really click and have a good time it's a matter of you know seeing each other to get drinks once every month or like two three months because people have lives and schedules and and it's hard to get close when you're averaging you know two hours a quarter with the person And so I just think events like this kind of spoon feed that common interest that I'm talking about, where if you come by yourself, at the very least, if you have nobody to talk to, you have something on the screen to talk about. Like the TV's on, the show's on, you can talk about the show and or talk about my podcast, which would be great, but not a requirement. And uh, I don't know, I would just like love to be a part of or try to host more things where like-minded people or people with similar interests can come together by yourself with people or not. And just like have fun and drink wine and do whatever. And yeah, I've been rambling for a while this episode. It's kind of nice to be back on the mic because I've had guests the past few episodes and um, which I actually loved because it's helped me a lot kind of get re-energized and um, feel like I wasn't just endlessly rambling about the same things to you guys. <laughs> I want to change it up and I appreciate you being flexible while we try out different formats and we have some really fun episodes and fun people hopefully coming up very hard to pin people down this day and age I gotta say um but yeah so this week I think I just asked people to I asked what like topics you wanted to talk about so I might just do one of the classic like PR catch-ups Q&A learn about what I because I feel like when I prompt people through Instagram it's kind of like okay what haven't I I feel like I'll address a lot of stuff, but what haven't I talked about that you want my input on? And I'll read off the ones I actually have something to say about. Um, So first of all, people wanted to, a lot of people wanted me to address Taylor Swift's Wango Tango performance and Instagram post for Pride. So 
I was at the Chicago Soldier Field concert last June 1st, the very beginning of Pride, and she made a very similar speech. The one in person that I heard was about, you know, her respecting people that are willing to come out despite fears of how it will be received and who like just choose to love who they love despite it all. And it was a very beautiful speech and it was way more centered on like, I admire the bravery of coming out. And then the one this year, given her more political involvement was about the Equality Act and um, writing letters to your senator to promote the fair treatment of all people regardless of sexual orientation and obviously race, gender, all of that, et cetera. But this specifically was about supporting LGBTQ plus individuals and their rights. Obviously, I support this 10 million percent. And I also knew she would do something like, like that because she is so much more politically focused now. And when she wrote that first political post in November the Not My Tennessee Values post about the midterm elections in Tennessee, that one was very pride-focused and very LGBTQ rights-focused, almost more so than anything else in that paragraph. So between the among the speech last June I heard in person, that post in November, this one I was, I, I, I was like, yeah, par for the course. Like It was empowering, it was moving, it was well-written, it was everything Taylor always is. It's, it's buttoned up and it's perfect and it's very well-said. And I thought she did a good job of being not neutral, but being like, it's not, it's just, it's rights, people. Like anytime anyone's arguing against the rights of a, a fellow person with flesh and blood, just like theirs, it's, to me, it's unconscionable. It's unbelievable. I don't understand it. And it, it's easier to get angry at somebody that doesn't believe in equal rights. But she was just saying it in a very um, matter of fact format that, and I think she did an awesome job. And I hope she's inspiring a lot of, people, especially young people who are maybe heavily influenced by their parents or their church or whatever values that kind of plant themselves in your brain at a young age. I think anytime there's somebody who's hugely looked up to and revered an icon like Taylor Swift, anytime there's a person in that position using their influence for good and to promote acceptance and fair treatment and equality is a win from all accounts. And now that I'm like really thinking about it, it's, it is surprising she didn't do this earlier, but it really might have been more of a big machine function because she didn't really do her first political post till she was out of that contract. And I don't know if maybe something in starting out with country music or whatever was ingrained in that 13 year contract, maybe that, you know, hot button topics are just totally, totally out of the question. Um, so yeah, I thought it was great. And then oh, at Wango Tango, I stayed up and watched it live. I was LOLing. There's a lot of memes being like, it's 2am and I'm cursing your name. I do love that song the way I loved you. Um, it, it, okay. So the way it, I, I heard it was very different in person, the way it sounded on the, on the live stream on YouTube, her mic was at like volume two and the backtrack was at like volume a hundred. And I could barely hear her. I knew she was singing and it wasn't like a full lip sync situation or anything, but it just, her mic was down so low. And at first I was like, maybe I just am having trouble hearing. But then when Brendan came out, which we knew he would, cause he kind of accidentally said in the live stream before the day before that he was getting ready for a performance yet. He didn't have one scheduled. Um, he came out and his mic wasn't even on for the first few lines. So there was audio issues. There was one point where like, 
electric guitar strings just started like playing. And then they started playing the single, uh, the style backtrack during a different song. And I was just like, oh my God, sound guy, do the sound. Is it that hard? I, this is your one job. And for that reason, I do not think Taylor will be playing Wango Tango again. I think she is a perfectionist and she's a person that has zero tolerance for, um, for careless errors, for human error. There could have been a sound glitch, but it really just sounded like somebody was misfiring some buttons and there was some volume issues in the back. But I watched like the Jonas Brothers and some of the other artists and they weren't having those issues, I didn't think. By the way, excited to watch the Jonas Brothers documentary. I kind of meant to before I recorded this, but here we are. Heard it's interesting. Heard it makes Nick look a little thirstier, but maybe us all understand their situation better. I can't imagine how hard it would be to be siblings in your formative years trying to grow in parallel to all succeed as one. And to not inevitably branch off and go your own way. I mean, we all can't be the brothers Hanson. They each have like eight kids. I think they still live in Tulsa. They still seem to get along beautifully. But the Joe Bros are, are more dynamic and we like them that way. I was reminded of how much I love the song Love Bug and what a banger it is. I also watched the Joe Bros uh, Hot Ones interview. That's the YouTube series where, is it Sean Evans? They um, have stars eat like insanely spicy hot wings and do an interview. It's it's such great content. It's one of my favorite pieces or series in digital media. I think it's very creative. A, I love wings. And B, they're essentially putting this like star through pain because it's so spicy. And so their reactions are so genuine because like, I think everyone's like, yeah, I can handle spicy food, but they don't even realize the levels of these sauces. And then it just, it, it, it puts a wall down. It creates this level of vulnerability and transparency into like the star and their mannerisms and, you know, how they would act in a way that's relatable to any human, like with spicy food, like makes you cry and sneeze and chug milk. And um, I just love it. I love John Mayer's. I loved uh, Chrissy Teigen's. Andy Cohen wasn't his most charming moment, but it was entertaining. You see people like Charlize Theron and Natalie Portman, who are just these gorgeous statuesque women, somehow like sweat and mouthwater in pain and like are eating the sloppiest food yet somehow are still like stoic and gorgeous. Scarlett Johansson's was really interesting. She seemed a lot cooler to me after watching Hot Ones. I don't know. I just I think it's a really innovative, creative, different form of content to get a different side of people than we're usually able to see in the format that so many interviews are in now. So I brought that up because I was talking about the Joe Bros. I was talking about the concert their documentary. Oh, Wango Tango. Yeah. Okay. But obviously the more important thing is that insanely amazing, dramatic, fringed wing rainbow costume, fringe jacket, corset, and shoe she had on. I knew she was going to come out and support Pride. I didn't really realize she was like straight up Joseph in the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Go, 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 Taylor. You know what they say. I like that musical. I love musicals in general. Would I go pay a premium buck to see Jay and the TDC? <laughs> Probably not. But I enjoyed the high school production of it, and I will forever sing the songs. It's kind of like Pippin. I'm not going to, you know, pay a premium dollar to go watch the circus act on a Broadway stage. But I do love the song We've Got Magic to do. Anyway, for those who are wondering, I am working on my Hamilton deep dive that will be available on Patreon. I fear it's too niche for the broader platform, but I will alert you when that's posted. And as you can imagine, it's needlessly detailed. <laughs> anyway, so the performance, her mic was quiet. 
The backtrack was loud. I felt Brad Brendan's mic wasn't on for his big debut. I would imagine she's pissed. But honestly, the performance seemed secondary to that gorgeous outfit. It was custom made. I follow her stylist, Joseph, is it Cassell? And she gets most of her performance outfits made by the same woman who's like a costume designer. And a lot of her stuff is custom. Those shoes were Stella McCartney, though, and they are sold out unless you're a size five, in which case you're a pocket girl. And get out of here because I'm jealous of you. (laughs) But anyway... And yeah, other than that, as it relates to Taylor, I think the general consensus is we're so like over the Easter eggs and we're so over the hints and I'm not even like speculating anymore. And I know that last week when I posted and then archived the post about her and Joe's relationship patterns and how I can understand how people feel like the LGBTQ imagery is like confusing. Are you an ally? Are you part of the community? Like, what's the point here? I mean, even... I think the album maybe got pushed back um, because me wasn't received how she wanted it to. The streams weren't as high as her previous singles. It didn't have as big of a debut as even Look What You Made Me Do. Going up against Old Town Road and whatnot, it didn't really have much of a chance at number one. And she said, I think the album's done unless I add anything to it, which for me sounded like backtracking. And I kind of do think that in me not performing as well as she wanted it to, she is having to take some extra measures like even going to the places she hadn't been in a while doing a lot of this the european talk shows doing more interviews she was kind of just like skyping at first to like kind of dip her toe back into press but then got really back into it and it's like as fun as the clues and everything are you know unfortunately i think we all made it worse by getting really excited about it but then when it gets drug out it's annoying and we just want answers and i think that the pride imagery is contributing to people being like, we want answers. Are you gay? Are you bi? Are you straight? Are you pan? Are you like, what's going on? Like, why? Like, yeah, support pride and donate your time and your voice. But like, why is your entire show theme rainbow? Is that a personal statement or a statement of being an ally? And it doesn't matter either way. But I think the reason people are so annoyed by it now is because there's been so much like just general lack of confirmation about everything surrounding this album that when more confusing stuff happens people are just over it and anyway i just don't want anybody to think that i really think that she would be like exploiting uh the pride flag or the pride messaging to her benefit like i just really don't think that there's a world where that's possible but i do understand how it can feel that way and i'm not going to project my own thoughts on the the plight of somebody who does identify as LGBTQ and could really benefit from her advocacy that she's doing, but also her potential participation that she's hinted at. But again, are we just overthinking it? All of those things I don't know. I just wanted to clarify. I'm not an expert. It's just, you know, there is a difference between donating money and being a supporter and like full on infusing rainbows into absolutely everything you're doing. And I stand by that that is a little bit confusing. (laughs) Maybe she just likes rainbows. What I'm thinking is that the album title or some theme is going to make it like, oh, we got it. Because like Casey Musgraves, you know, has that song Rainbow Uses Rainbows. Katy Perry is always rainbow-tastic. I like her new song. My issue with Katy Perry is she always feels like she's kind of scream singing at me. But I do like the song. It's, is it called, is it never, never really over? Um, so anyway... Moving on to the questions from Instagram. Some of these are funny because I said, what should I talk about on the podcast? But I think these people don't listen to the podcast because one person said, do you believe the crazy days and nights blinds that TS and Carly Kloss were in a relationship? <laughs> listen to episode seven and subscribe to my Patreon and I, that will answer that. I also posted my thoughts on the 
conspiracy about her and Diana Agron on my Patreon because it's not my sleuthing. I'm just reporting what's already out there. Um, somebody else said, I'm sorry, completely out of the loop on T-Swift. Clues, I'm confused. Are these for her album? <laughs> Oof. I, we got to backtrack a lot for that one. So I... Um, there in my Instagram highlights, there's one called podcast and I posted a, uh, like list of what I think are the best episodes. And I separate out what's your Taylor Swift specific episodes. Usually they have a Taylor Swift like name, like TS seven. You can't spell awesome without B there in fives recaps. Um, but yes, there's a lot to this question. Totally respect you asking it. Uh, because I would be confused too. Maybe start with episode 55 TS seven. You can't spell awesome without B. Um, Kylie makeup. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think you mean skincare. She's doing skincare, uh, videos about Kylie's skin and she has a filter on in all the videos, like with like butterflies and glitter, which we all know does that like auto microderm thing to your skin. So it's absolutely absurd. It's like Delilah Bell posting that like fresh face, like bare faced makeup look thing when she was wearing lipstick on her huge ass lips had on shimmer eyeshadow and like fake like eyelash extensions it's just like what is that doing for your life are you are you stupid do not claim anything with natural beauty without doing anything naturally whatsoever her lips are like they're upsetting and i i maybe your your you know tolerance for lip size is skewed when your mom's lisa rinna because hers are big and so maybe that's just what she thinks looks normal on a face but um, and I normally don't really care what you do or look like, but for her to be touting natural beauty with I was just like, oh, my God, you have to stop. She's truly I don't even think she's 20. She's very young. Ugh, it drives me crazy. Um, also, I cut snippets of Housewives of Beverly Hills last night. That was very hard to watch with Amelia's eating disorder. I need to finish it. I talk about I'm going to talk about Housewives later on this episode. Um, so, yeah, Kylie makeup. If you want a review that's entertaining, watch Jeffree Star and Shane Dawson review it. It doesn't feel totally fair because Jeffree Star is off of her PR list. And I think he's a little bit bitter, but Shane actually paid money for the products. And I mean, it seems like it's fine, right? Like face washes, face, face wash. I mean, like makeup wipes or makeup wipes. I don't know how innovative you can get that in that video. They talked about them ripping off Tatcha, but Tatcha is actually, I, I feel like highly proprietary and um it's based out of japan and i love their products and i feel like they are i don't know i'd be surprised if she was able to successfully copy that or if that was her intention it might just have been a packaging similarity but anyway i'm not buying it i'd rather buy her cosmetics i'm not super interested in the skincare secrets of a literal infant so until she gets older and can tease out some of these results in a more realistic fashion without a filter you know call me then Britney Spears, you know, guys, I think I've said before, I'm I'm not that interested in her. Like, I love her music. I went to her concert for my bachelorette party. Like, but I've never found her relatable as a public figure, as a person. And she's just always been kind of this kooky pop star, especially in the era of her conservatorship. And, you know, in a post-bald golf club smashing world where in my head, I was just like, okay, well, this is never going to be the same. She's just been robotic, and I, I guess I'm less concerned for her because I've always felt like she was a little off the rails. And the problem now is that in that Britney 911 thing, that I didn't listen to that podcast. Apparently, people loved it. I know that's a big part of Heather McMahon's rise was going through um, Britney 911, and it was a good observation that things were, you know, looking a little off. But the fact that she's trying to respond to it now, or her team is, 
especially after she canceled her tour and her father was in bad health and her mom made a statement about, um, you know, trying to reclaim the conservatorship, I believe. She's overcompensating to be like, no, guys, I post my own videos. This is me. This is me being silly. This is me dancing. This is me in short shorts and a sports bra that I coincidentally was wearing identically, you know, in April of 2018. But I swear this video is new. It's it's just a lot of weird behavior that is concerning. And the thing is, it's like if she is having a mental breakdown, I want her to be supported and not ridiculed for taking time off and going to a facility. If she's being held there against her will, that is a problem. But is that the cause to take on by the general public? I don't know. We took that on with Richard Simmons and nothing happened. That was fun while it lasted. Actually, it wasn't. That podcast was pretty boring. <laughs> not going to lie. Um, so anyways, I mean, I'm concerned for Brittany. I want the best for her. You know how they say that like for trauma victims, at whatever age the trauma occurred, you almost stop maturing. And I don't know, you know, how theoretical that is in the world of psychology, but she to me seems like a 16, 17 year old pop star. And who knows what they put her through over sexing her, making her overwork, probably was underpaid. She probably had a lot of issues with her family being greedy. I mean, I just can't imagine. I, I don't know. I just can't. Now being in my 30s and thinking about how I thought I knew everything and was myself at like 16 or 17 and thinking if like I paused there and how if it like taken advantage of I could have been at that time. It like breaks my heart a little bit. Um, So I don't know, guys. I hope for the best. I mean, she. do you think she's really with that guy, that boyfriend? I mean, she's got to be normal-ish. I just, here's my biggest thing with Britney Spears is yeah, people should like swoop in and take over to make sure her finances and tour schedule and career is all in good shape, whatever. But who really needs to swoop in is a freaking stylist and a glam team. And I know looks don't matter, but also that's what's making her look unhinged. Yeah, the facial expressions and the like half block, you know, cheerleader rehearsing, not fully doing her moves, dancing is a little bizarre, very bizarre. But the makeup running down her face and the god-awful extensions and the fried straightener baby hairs and the clothes that are, you know, reminiscent of a, I don't know, it kind of feels like a who's who of a Dillard's clearance rack. Like, like cheap cotton semi-activewear things in mismatched colors that are ill-fitting and silhouettes that are just a, a little too dated. And again, it's not about your appearance. However, I think that with somebody with so much so much access to money, resources, etc., it's confusing why she's choosing to look so unkempt when she's trying to prove a point of her being fine. At least wipe off your makeup. At least get some like of those real like virgin hair extensions and blend in with your hair nicer. Or like just wear a slick bun. Wear a tight top knot or like a, a great solid middle part with a strong eye. And put on like a normal outfit. <laughs> like, is that so bitchy? I don't know. I just, I can't, I, I, that's what I think is like the infantilization almost. Like she has not grown past a certain fashion sense, a certain point in her career. And is just kind of forgetting the importance of her appearance in conjunction with what's kind of, you know, considered to be put together to the rest of the world. And also, um, it's confusing to me when somebody works really, really hard on their body and is obsessed with fitness and being in shape. And you can tell she works out and dances and does a ton of cardio and all of that, like 
Her body has always been insane. It's interesting to me that there's not an element of that that translates into beauty, like health and fitness and beauty. I feel like a lot of people, you know, not for lack of a better word, there's an element of like vanity and involved, but also like self-care and all that stuff. I'm definitely vain in the beauty realm, but not in the health realm. I don't think, you know, your face is what you have. You work on your face, you maintain your face, your hair. Those things are controls. You'll have them your whole life. Your weight comes and goes and fluctuates. If you want to work out at times, do it. If you want to lose weight at times, do it. If you don't care sometimes, whatever. I want to be healthy internally, but I just mean in terms of like physically being toned. It's just not a priority. Like I, there, there's nothing clothes can't hide. You know, it's, it's all about strategic dressing in my book. But for people that really want to invest that kind of time in having their body look a certain way, I'm just like, how could you look at your hair extensions and think that those are in shape? You know, like, how could you think your like face looks healthy with your makeup running down it? It's all very confusing to me, guys. So I, I was I long story short, I was like, I have nothing to say about Brittany. I don't, I don't really care that much, but I clearly care a lot. I've been paying more attention lately as it's, it's gone off the rails. The next person at, said random, but what is your Enneagram type? I think I've talked about Enneagrams. I highly recommend taking it. It's very it's an interesting personality test that illustrates kind of these nine archetypal human character structures. And it addresses what motivates you, how you behave when you're stressed and how you behave when you're healthy. And it kind of shows you your own ego's set of coping mechanisms that we're not always truthful about or aware of. And I think that they're incredibly honest personality descriptions and they're more dead on than the others I've seen. Um, there's like different philosophies behind it. It's actually very popular among like the Christian community and a lot of the better books on the topic have more religious undertones. I view this more agnostically and I'm, you know, not in terms of like, what are our sins, but like, you know, embracing, accepting and working around who you are instead of actively fighting against it. And I am a four, which is called the individualist, which you know, I have mixed thoughts on. I It's pretty accurate for the most part. It's this, it's called the individualist, the sensitive, introspective type. The brief description is that fours are self-aware, sensitive, and reserved. They're emotionally honest, very creative and personal, but also can be moody and self-conscious. So that sentence is me um, to a T. Like the the earlier one, I was like, I don't think I'm dramatic or temp- that temperamental. I'm actually pretty um, non-confrontational and low-key. But there's a lot of drama internally is what I suppose I was overlooking. Um, The basic fear is having no identity or personal significance. Check. Basic desire is to find themselves and their significance and to create an identity. Check. Um, And they want to express themselves in their individuality to create and surround themselves with beauty, to maintain certain moods and feelings, to withdraw, to protect their self-image, and to take care of their emotional needs before anything else. Check, 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 check. So all that was very interesting and helpful for me because I can't understand with this Enneagram, it made me realize sometimes what my hang-up is with other people and that people who are kind of like martyrs who take themselves down to make everybody else happy, to you know, say yes to something they don't want to do and it's going to completely derail something they're doing in their life, but they don't want to make the other person upset. Like, even though I do have a need to please people superficially, I actually always do put myself first in terms of I need to be in a good place. I need to take care of myself. My mental health matters. 
I will say no to this and not worry about the repercussions because I know this is what I need and it's not in vain. I um, like I really do not overextend myself. And that's something I've always been like proud of because I think that resentment is where you can't revert like something you can't reverse in relationships. And I think resentment is often built out of doing things you don't want to do and not speaking up. But I really don't resent or regret anyone or anything, really, because if it's not right for me, I just won't do it. And even though in the short term, it might piss people off and I do withdraw a lot from people, from friendships, from anything when I'm not in a good place, because I, I, I know what conversations are and aren't good for me when I'm feeling more anxious or more depressed. But long term, it's better for me because then I don't hold things against people for them making me do them or me feeling like they made me do them, even though I operated out of my own free will, if that makes any sense. So Enneagram is really interesting on so many levels, but it more so than myself, I think helped me explain, uh, understand other people better. And I love hearing about other people's personality types and how they identify with it. Um, so I won't talk about myself that much more, but um I do think it was very educational and I had never really like, you know, Myers-Briggs and stuff and astrology and all the, you know, communication styles, all that stuff's always been like helpful. And I am, I think I'm an, I, I'm an INFP through and through, but there's also a couple Myers-Briggs that I retook it recently and I am more on the cusp than I thought. So I think those can be a little self-serving, but this felt a lot more dead on because I love that it's rooted in like in kind of your motivation and your fears, because really, I mean, that's what we're all doing is you're kind of motivation by your own motivated by fear half the time. Right. Um, sometimes by, you know, your own free will, but oftentimes it's just because of what you don't want to happen as an alternative. Feel free to reach out when you do and tell me what you learn. I think it's really interesting. I don't meet a lot of fours. Let me know if you're a four. I think most of my close friends are twos. My, I think my sister's a two. One of my best friends from college is a two. My husband hasn't taken it, but I've pretty much pegged it with a number. Because with every personality type, there's the personality type that's like, well, this person's never going to take a personality test. And whatever that is, that's him. Because <laughs> he just thinks they're all self-fulfilling prophecies. But the Enneagram, I think, would tell him, like, you probably didn't want to be here, but... I don't know. I love this sort of stuff. Anything that helps you achieve greater self-acceptance, understand people better, uh, lead with compassion is never, ever harmful, I don't think, even if it's an element of placebo. Are James and Lala friends again? I mean, it would appear so. I don't know. They were back in the recording studio and she was like, all things aside, the one thing that's brought us together is being in the studio. And, you know, while it's going to be nearly impossible to top 2017's greatest dance hall hit and no i'm not talking about despacito i'm talking about feeling you by dj james kennedy featuring lala which she performed in vegas wearing a one-piece bathing suit that was uh kind of screen printed dye sublimated to look like a man's hairy chest so you know that was exciting uh raven and adam from bachelor in paradise engagement i don't really follow them i think i said this on instagram i I like a two-season turnover rule. There's some, you know, people that I really will take to and like, and I'll keep around. You know, I love Caitlin Bristow. And I think I, I think I maybe recently unfollowed Janner. I don't really care about Carly and Evan. I mean, not that I don't care about them. I wish them all well. It's just that I need room for my heart and my newsfeed to have the new cast members if we're always getting new ones. And even though I'm more disenchanted, the thirstier they are, like I don't really follow Cassie or Caitlin or any of them. Hannah B's grown on me a decent amount. 
um, mostly because I just was fascinated by her tiny body in those leather hot pants at that racing date. I literally paused it and I was like, I, I don't know. It's the same way I feel about Amanda on Summer House. It's like, I like men, but I also am a woman that knows how hard it is to maintain for your body to look a certain way. And I've never been a person that wears tiny clothes or bathing suits, especially not on camera. And whenever I see these like women with these gorgeous, but natural, not like too insanely, like grossly thin bodies, just like in shape that don't appear to have had surgery. I'm just like slow clapping. I pause the DVR and I get, I call my husband. And I'm like, this is amazing. And he's like, what do you like? There's nothing I can say here. That's like going to like make you happy in this situation. I'm like, you're right. Shut your mouth, leave the room. Cause if he's like, yeah, damn hot pants. I'm like, why don't you marry her? And then if he like disagrees with me, I'm like, well, all women are beautiful. Okay. So maybe I am dramatic. <laughs> anyway, so I just appreciate people who are in a shape where they can wear tiny clothes on TV confidently because that would never be me. I could I could be the tiniest I've ever been and I still just have a natural propensity to like cover my arms. I just want to sleeve. Speaking of, I was also talking about this over the weekend, how I'll sometimes make comments about like how being in a two piece is my nightmare. And it's not because I'm self-conscious about like my body or my weight. Like I'm actually fine. Like I said, I've I've been actively practicing the art of, uh, you know, you're, I think all of our bodies have somewhat of like a default setting, like a default weight, a default range in which we typically would be if we're not being overly unhealthy or overly healthy. I want to sit in and live in and accept that place and not be constantly trying to transform myself or act, you know, actively against how my body naturally wants to be shaped and exist. I don't want to be in a constant state of like intense diet and exercise. I don't want to live, you know, work out and eat healthy 363 days a year for the two days a year I'm in a bikini. It's just, it's not what I value. I really don't want to pass on negative messaging about my body or eating or crazy exercising to kids if I have them someday. I just want to be like, this is how I'm supposed to be shaped and it's my job to keep my insides healthy. And if there are times when I want to look better or I care a little less, great, but I'm just not going to be insane about the way my body looks anymore. And I'll like offhandedly make a joke. I was talking about how I don't like pools because by the time I like pack a tote bag and it has like sunscreen and like some magazines because I always forget until I get there that it's really hard to read your phone in the bright sunlight and I have a towel and I put on the sunscreen and it dries and like I'm crazy about sunscreen because I'm so fair and I have such a, a checkered background of sunburn and tanning beds and uh, I have a lot of moles. I, give tr I have full constellations on my on my moles. Like I have a this little dipper on my forearm and a full Cassiopeia on my stomach. Not even kidding. I think I recently saw um, more of a Leo on my leg, but I haven't taken to it with a pen yet, which I will be doing soon. It's, it's really an exciting activity. Um, anyway, the, I'll get DMs that people are like, be you girl, own it, be beautiful. Everybody's a bikini body. Like, I don't know. I just, it's sweet. Like, I get encouraging messaging, but I'm like, oh wait, that's like not the point at all. That's not what I'm saying. I think some people just don't love like effectively being nude in public. Even when I was like a lanky little thing in middle school, I was kind of like, isn't it weird to be around my classmates essentially wearing underwear? Again, maybe it's the subconscious tarnishing of a church camp because they made us wear conservative one pieces. 
And this one chick, I think her name was Tina, she wore one with a zipper that could plunge if she wanted to. And when nobody was looking, she unzipped it further. And you best bet she got a talking to. So I had to wear, you know, a pretty swim teamy Speedo and, you know, had an aggressive teaback tan all summer. It was fine. Maybe they implanted messaging to me of like, you know, being conservative. But I'm not conservative is the thing. Like, I'm not bashful about my body. Like, I'll change in front of people. Like, I don't really care. It's just like the static feeling of being still and like being so unclothed that I'm just like, I don't need this. Like, I'd rather be wearing a cover up or shorts, even though nobody's looking at you because they're all thinking about themselves. I just don't. I don't know. It's just not my jam. So like, it's funny because I think some people, you know, of course, you should encourage friends and people shouldn't be self-conscious and whatever you enjoy, do more of it. I don't really enjoy the pool because I get in the pool and I'm like doing handstands or having an underwater tea party. And I'm like, okay, I'm 31. Like, what do I do? The Martha Washington hair flip or maybe the Ariel on the rock hair flip? Do I like do a can opener off the diving board? Like, who gives a shit? I'm like too old for pool games. So unless I'm in a backyard pool, I'm not too super comfortable. In a backyard pool, I'll live my best life. I will dangle my feet in the water and drink a glass of wine and talk to friends, a small group. I don't care. Like, I love a private situation. I don't care if I'm around my friends or whatever. It's just like at these big apartment pools or country clubs or like bigger stage pools. I'm just kind of like less inclined to go. But I honestly think that my aversion to pools and at, at times beaches, I, I mean, I love going to tropical places, but I just don't think I have as much fun as the average person because I do burn so badly. And the second I put on sunscreen and it dries and then I go in the water and I feel like it comes off. And like, even if it doesn't come off and they say it's waterproof, I don't trust them because isn't it like in there, aren't they incentivized to like let me burn so they sell more product? So by the time I reapply and then I'm like publicly rubbing myself down, and I'm like a little bit wet or if I'm on the beach and I get this inadvertent, unsolicited back exfoliation I never needed on my already charring skin. I'm just like, what am I doing here? It's just it's like 80 percent avoiding the elements and 20 percent fun. <laughs> if I could just like be and not worry too much about sunscreen and naturally tan like I don't tan. It's just like burn or bust. So all that to say. Don't worry about me. I'm always me. I'm always living my best life. Just maybe in a beach short. Whatever's the opposite of the girl wearing wedges at the pool, I am that girl. I like, can you imagine wearing a heel at the pool? Truly, I have no tolerance for that. I get that you want to elongate your legs, but we all see what you're doing. It's not an optical illusion so much as it is a deliberate illustration of you trying to actively work against your height. It's it's not going to I just don't really think heels basically wearing a bra and underwear are like really changing your body at that point. Like you're you're out there. I, I don't know what heels are going to do to help. But you know what? I shouldn't judge if you're not going to judge me a medium for wearing my medium tees at the pool. I won't judge you for your pool wedges. You know, like can't we all just get along? There's room for everyone. But I do prefer a private pool situation. Somebody was talking, uh, DM me and was like, oh, my sister and I's favorite thing to do is to night swim at like a private, like somebody's house pool. And you just like drink wine and swim and it's dark and like you're in your bathing suit and you're free. and You don't have to wear sunscreen. And I was like, I had this light bulb moment of like, oh, my God, that sounds amazing. Like I need I would I'm never a person that would prioritize buying a pool in my backyard because of the, you know, the uh, uh, liability and also the maintenance and the cost and relative to the use I'd get out of it. However, my entire world was slipped upside down upon the, the suggestion of a night swim, even solo. 
I, I do love be, uh, swimming and I do love wine and I do love darkness and I do love not getting sunburn. And so maybe I love pools is my point. Anyways, this has gone totally off topic. Most of these questions are related to Bravo, so I need to get to the shows, but I kind of wanted to save them till toward the end so you can skip them if you want. But even if you skip, I always have like my like weekly, I try to do like a weekly like lesson or learning or something that I'm thinking about toward the end. So even if you skip over a topic, always at least like try to listen to the last 15 minutes or so. Because I, I try to, I really just don't want people to drop off the episode and think they don't have to listen anymore, even if you don't watch a show. And I try to talk about them in a way that even if you don't listen, you can be semi-entertained. The other questions were Selena Gomez. I actually don't know. She just pops up at like being featured in songs that I swear she's CGI'd into because we never see her. I love a Jessica Simpson appreciation slash unappreciation Taylor Swift style. Like, was she dumb or was she brilliant? Oh, man, that's rich. That's deep. I have a lot of thoughts on Jessica Simpson and the evolution of her voice from beautiful songbird to like guttural hiccuping mess. Um, but also rewatched the entirety of newlyweds when I got my tonsils out at a late age in my 20s and just I've I've so many thoughts that that will be we're going to table that um also Danny Pellegrino another podcaster he d- talks a lot about Jessica Simpson and he's very funny and does a great job um being her fan but also explaining the, the comical nuances of her legacy lastly before housewives somebody there's a couple things I don't know anything about um MLMs taking over social media, multi-level marketing. Um, I also got several questions about my thoughts on Rachel Hollis. I did do a longer uh, recording about this, but then I cut it because I was worried I was being too negative and whatever. But a lot of you were like, no, like, let's talk about it. So I'll go into that. And that kind of ties into MLMs. But really quick, before I get into all of that good stuff, I wanted to do a quick flashback to my very second episode when I went over a PDF entitled Tugboat 101 that is this needlessly overbearing and detailed list of what to do to get Tugboat to eat if you're watching him (laughs) when we go out of town. And as I'm always telling you, I'm looking for advertisers that solve actual problems I have so I can speak to it from my own experience and not read off of a script. And truly, there's nothing I can say that will better express this pain point I have than this excerpt from the second episode where I read Tugboat 101, because every word of it is true and it's humiliating. And yes, I'm sure a lot of it's the parents. But at the same time, he has just always been so damn picky that the place that he goes for doggy daycare, they said they have never met a dog who will not eat peanut butter. Tugboat laughs in peanut butter's face. Rotisserie chicken? sneezes, walks away, gives me the middle finger. Truly. I mean, he has no interest in any of my tricks, gimmicks, foods. I wasted so much money on dog food. Basically, if it's not a full-on charcuterie platter of a a wide variety of soft and hard cheeses and different Italian cured meats, he's not interested. But anyway, listen back to this clip, and then I'm going to tell you about how I figured out this problem. Thank God. And hopefully we'll be able to record from my house now that he won't be barking and driving me absolutely insane out of hunger. I have a document entitled Tugboat 101, and 
I just want to read you a couple excerpts. Tugboat. Food. This section is long because he's very weird eating habits. Sometimes he won't eat till three. Sometimes he eats all day. We don't know what his deal is. So I provided you some options. Typically, he eats twice a day. But he's kind of inconsistent about how much and when. He kind of grazes and I do give him a lot of treats. We're trying to get him to eat dog food. So we're weaning him off chicken. Ha ha. I love the ha ha. Like, I'm cool. I gave you a big Costco thing of vacuum-packed chicken pieces. Break this up and heat it up for 15 to 20 seconds and put it on twice a day over the kibble. Best case scenario, he eats the kibble, put it out at nine, one, and six to see if he'll eat it. What will probably happen, he won't touch it. Then he'll stalk you every time you eat human food. Do not doubt his determination. He once took a chicken tender out of my mouth. The slightly embarrassing solution is to try and feed him kibble from your hand. Sometimes he just forgets he doesn't hate it. But if you still won't eat any kibble... NBD, just feed him the warm chicken. You could try to supplement some veggies with the canned pumpkin I included. Again, you may have to try from your hand, especially because his bowl is in a new place and he has trouble finding his bowl even in our house. <laughs> and people ask me why I don't have kids yet. Is it me? Is it him? Tough to say. But on one fateful day when my sister caught me with a rotary cheese shredder like at an Italian restaurant, freshly grating Parmesan over my dog's food, I thought, yeah... Maybe time to draw the line and just, like, figure this one out. Find an eating solution. And honestly, I was Googling what, like, what to do about a picky dog. What do picky dogs eat? Solutions for a dog that won't eat anything that steals chicken tenders out of my mouth. And I found the farmer's dog. And it's the holy grail of fresh, pre-portioned, convenient delivery dog food that's straightforward and not, you know, littered with chemicals, not processed, just real food, so real you can eat it delivered on an ongoing basis in prepackaged format that I just feed him half of it. I, truly, it is so easy and I'm kicking myself for not finding this earlier. And get this, the, the craziest thing of all, he eats it. I mean, I, I, I am dumbfounded. Can you believe a dog would eat food? I mean, it's, it's the craziest thought. But what I realized is that, is that the farmer's dog's mission is kind of designed in the the same like thought process that I think Tugboat's having, which is when he looks at kibble or looks at gross dog food that I sure as hell don't want to smell or eat or touch, he doesn't want it either. And the farmer's dog really believes that your dog should eat real food and that real food shouldn't look like burnt brown balls like kibble. I mean, of course, that's not appetizing, right? So anyway, the farmer's dog, they send you pre-portioned, personalized, vet-designed meal plans to your door Tugboat right now has a turkey mixture, a beef mixture, and a pork mixture. His name's on all the packages. That's super cute. I'll show you on Instagram. And what's awesome is you go online and take a quick survey with the dog's breed and weight and age and any dietary restrictions. And then it comes to you pre-portioned and each meal plan is personalized to the dog based on that survey in terms of the calories, the delivery cadence, the recipe selection, and all that good stuff. And if you go to thefarmersdog.com slash be there in five, F-I-V-E, not the number five, they'll give you 50% off of your trial of fresh dog food delivered. For me, it's net cheaper than the raw food I was buying. And it, the price is going to depend on your dog's weight and caloric needs and all that stuff. So at least, at the very least, go to thefarmersdog.com slash be there in five, take the survey, redeem the 50% off, see what it's going to look like, and then go from there. I would love it if you supported the sponsors who support this podcast, who work with micro-influencers, who were so invested in Tugboat's well-being after I explained the perils of, of uh, canine pickiness. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I hope you enjoyed the blast from the past from episode two. I could barely listen to it. My voice sounds crazy. And that's when I was having like a producer person in Australia off of Fiverr.com, deleting like breasts, pauses, ums, ers, etc., 
but what he wasn't leaving like the natural cadence of talking in. So I just sound insane for the first several episodes. And what are you going to do? It's charming, right? It's like if you're not embarrassed by your first few things of any creative venture you've had, like, are you really living, you know? Anyway, back to the episode. Okay, so MLMs. I have a lot of thoughts on this. See, I'd argue that they, they're almost on their way out. I think MLMs are like becoming, people are sniffing them out more and more and they're realizing the business model maybe isn't the key to wealth they always thought there was, largely due to the expose of ones like LuLaRoe or um, podcasts like The Dream, which are about MLMs. It's so many of the way those businesses are run are truly, truly unethical, misleading, manipulative processes designed to make you spend a lot of money with inventory you're locked into and to only make your primary money off of getting other salespeople or other coaches underneath you and then them doing the same thing thus the spirit of a pyramid scheme and anytime you're being instructed to sell something and the value prop and your income stream has very little to do with the product at hand and way more to do with getting other people on your team run don't walk a lot of corporations do this normally and ethically. Amway is a great example. They have programs that are not pyramid schemes, but like your Lula Rose of the world, absolute nightmares, put a lot of people in dire situations that got into it in the first place to help, to help their families. And just generally speaking, if you want to be an entrepreneur or a small business owner or have ownership of your own life and income and destiny, don't do it making some other man rich. Because most of these companies that really target, especially low to middle income women that want disposable income are are preying on their vulnerability on their motivations on what on women wanting to find you know their own identity outside of being at home with their families and telling you that you can be a boss babe and own your own business and control your destiny and make all this money and go on these glamorous trips and you know you control your fate and happiness just like Rachel Hollis tells you um it's all bullshit and you have to be so careful of the motivations of these people because like if the product was that great it would speak for itself and it could be sold in a normal capacity if the product's fine and maybe has like a trendy or a viral or a you know short-lived flash in the pan appeal because it's different yet the the primary focus is on coaching and getting people on your team the company themselves don't have enough faith in the product they just are going to make money off the people and that's insane and that's such a red flag and i just hope that there's more awareness being brought to that Watch the document. It's there is a YouTube documentary Vice did about LuLaRoe. I'm forgetting what it's called, but if you type Vice LuLaRoe documentary, it talks about getting locked into buying all this inventory, it not being returnable, people not getting their money back, being sent wet inventory, inventory with holes in it, people not responding if they brought up any quality issues or issues with the company and their Facebook support groups that were all about like, boss babe, crushing it, live your best life. They would just get deleted and kicked out of the group and completely alienated. You weren't allowed to give any feedback, constructive or otherwise. It truly seems like a kind of Pareto situation where 20% of the people are making 80% of the company's revenue and are appearing to be like 80% of the success stories of people doing these things when really they're just louder and they're incentivized to be louder and they're successful at achieving this level of reach or shareability that's making it seem like there's the success is more, you know, palpable and accessible than it is. And I think people, you know, by using language that was really preying on, you know, do you want to make your own money? Do you wish you could go back to work but need to take care of your family? 
You always wish you were a boss, babe. Do you love watching Shark Tank? Do you want to have control over your life? Do you want your kids to be able to go to private school? Do you want to be able to go on that vacation you always wanted? Like, it basically was kind of like, we know your life sucks, but here's how to make it better. And I just hate that sort of, I hate that angle of any marketing to be like, we know your situation's unfortunate. Here's how we can fix it. And you'll never look back. It's like, no, don't project that onto other people and make them feel like they do need to be doing more. You know what I mean? I, I just like, I hate, I, I, I think there's a lot of benefit to like entrepreneurial motivational language and quotes out there on the internet, but I hate, 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 um, nine to five shaming. I hate stay at home mom shaming. I hate anything that tells you how you should think or feel about the, the position you're in because it makes people that would otherwise be content and happy and, and that worked hard to be in this position feel like there, there needs to be more. It's that always next best thing mentality that I think we're all plagued with. And just like I'm an entrepreneur who kind of wishes I was in a nine to five because I look at somebody who is salaried and can leave and somebody else can do their work if they're sick or whatever. And I, I, I have I have dreams about a match 401k contribution. Like I cannot imagine getting paid to be on maternity leave. Like the closer I get to being like having kids age, the more I feel like a selfish monster for not working at a company that's going to pay for my mat leave. And it, it really is like a, it's, it's upsetting to me. And conversely, I see so many people, especially new moms who just like want to start their own thing or start their own business or not go back to nine to five and like want just the freedom of being an entrepreneur and following a dream and da, da, da. And I feel like those people are kind of preyed on and shamed by a lot of quotes that are like suggesting that a nine to five job is a form of confinement and like break the shackles of the man and go live your dreams and live your best life and live life on your own terms. No, there's a ton of benefit, more benefit to having a stable nine to five job, especially if you're supporting a family. The, the, I am, some people are envious of the freedom that comes with self-employment. I am envious of the lack of pressure that comes with a nine to five job. Because as you get older, life gets more complicated and more people are involved. You need to take care of more people. You care a lot less about a lot of the material and image-based things you once did and a lot more about the people you love. And you realize, even though I am a floor individualist, all, a lot of the entrepreneurial, self-employed, creative ventures I'm doing are very self-serving, but inevitably as time goes on, as you grow and mature, things that are solely self-serving do a lot less for you. And it becomes a lot more about like, I want to be able to take care of people, do nice things for people, travel with people, go fly to see my parents and my nephews and my niece and friends and go to weddings and bachelorette parties and be present. And all of these things I want to be doing that really do fill me require money. And they're a hell of a lot easier when you have paid time off <laughs> a salary and somebody else to get the work done when you're gone. And like, those are things that I think people don't always think about. And there are a lot of reasons to be in a nine to five job that are great for your mental health and for your family and for your long-term financial situation. And I just hate when people forego all of those practical concepts in favor of something so abstract as a dream or freedom or not having a boss or whatever. Like, I do love what I do, and I'm incredibly lucky that I was in a position to take the risk that I did. But as you all know very well, I encourage people to think so, so long and hard about quitting your job and about the realities of how difficult it is to make large amounts of sustainable money. It's not hard to make a lot of money quickly selling something, doing something different, whatever. It's hard to make it stay and it's hard to not make your business comparably expensive so that your margin 
actually will grow instead of just, you know, your revenue gets bigger, but your expenses also do. So that margin never really changes. And you're always, you know, generating the same amount of money at any scale. It's there's so much more to it. And long story short, I think MLMs do this to mothers, to stay at home moms, to people that are working part time, to people that are working and don't want to be and wish they could be at home with their children. They're making it seem like you need spending money. You know, you need to be able to do fun things with your kids. You want to pay for those swim lessons like do LuLaRoe. And it's like something about the messaging that seems very by design. And I feel like is instructed to be this manipulative praise on. Yeah, maybe fleeting thoughts women have because inevitably your life changes a ton when you have children, especially if you go from working to staying at home. Um, Even though raising a child is like the hardest job in the world that deserves all the credit in the world, there is that conflict of your monetary contribution. And um, I don't know. I just think that it it ropes in a lot of women who are like, oh, I barely have to work and I can make money. Well, yeah, of course I want more money for my family. But in doing in getting that result by shaming people to that they should be more than a mom and that they could be a boss babe and in charge of their own happiness, it just pisses me off to no end. And it's not okay. And it's what Rachel Hollis does. She tells us we're in charge of our happiness. She suggests that we have like full ability to like manifest and to sculpt a life that is exactly how we want it because her and her own specific anecdotal situation was able to do that. I got a lot of questions about Rachel Hollis this week because I I posted a while back about what, what I thought asking what I thought about her. And it's a tricky thing because like she has truly a million times the following I do. People love her, people love her book. She's a New York Times bestselling author. I am not. I've written a book. I would hate for somebody to go in on my book. I I like to assume everybody is doing their best and acting out of what they honestly think is the right thing to do. I think what's happened with her is she started in like the right place, but then in the pursuit of scale and money has had to really kind of pander and lean into some of the themes that I think are problematic. And I couldn't even, she does a ton of these MLM conferences, for example, and I could not... I did not read Girl, Wash Your Face in its entirety, so I feel like I cannot speak about it, you know, definitively. But I can tell you my specific issues with it were the use of words like girl and babe and gangster and, you know, girl boss, boss babe, lady boss. Any, I really have a problem with any entrepreneurial literature that actively encourages the infantilization of female leadership. I don't love... At times it feels like a verbal appropriation of slang that she would not be otherwise using. I think it's like, uh, honestly, I was out what the second I she like called me a gangster. I was like, what, what are you talking? What does that even mean? I just don't need the cutesy nicknames and I don't want to be talked to like I'm unintelligent. And I just felt like the whole thing was or rather the part that I read was kind of like it blames you for all of your problems tells you to like pick yourself up and dust yourself off and that you have full control over how you think, how you feel and what happens to you. And obviously the major issue there is the ignorance of baseline privilege. And she actually has had like, she had a pretty tough past. I think she grew up in like an almost cult, like tiny religious extremist group and had a very sheltered and different childhood she had to break free from and didn't have money. And she's got, I don't discount anybody's story or what value they potentially have to bring to the table. I think it's really impressive what she's done in building a platform in, 
you know, with the message of like, I'm not an expert, I'm not a guru, I'm like your girlfriend, I'm relatable. She's done well marketing her relatability and in her philosophy of like de deconstructing the lies you're told. I get like high level and I and I do think and I a lot of the stuff she believes, I probably believe too in terms of, you know, being realistic about if you're setting your own limitations and the importance of taking calculated risks and not listening to too much noise or bad advice around you and how your mindset largely influences your well-being and that's the primary thing you should take care of like i believe in all this stuff the glaring issues of what i read of this and what i know of her social media persona well a is the language that i already talked about which is i guess small in comparison but b it's the baseline you know ignorance of privilege of you know, if every if your happiness and destiny is a matter of personal responsibility, how do you account for, you know, socioeconomic divides, for systematic racism, for people that are undergoing major tragedies, health issues, people that are undergoing all these things despite not having issues to things like health care? I mean, it's there's so many it's like you can't take on all the issues all the time, but to speak in the such platitudes about personal responsibility and about, you know, being all about tough love and telling you like, you know, your weight is up to you, your happiness is up to you, how much money you make is up to you. It's like in the best case scenario where everything's working in your favor, sure. But there are way more reasons why this logic does not work than why it does in terms of the masses. Trust me, I have, I have everything working in my favor. I have all the will in the world. I work around the clock. I am an example of a person that has a lot more control over my life than a lot of other people do. And I still am not like loaded. I'm not rolling in it. I'm not wildly successful. I am like trial and erroring every second of every day. And I don't say that like to complain or make you feel bad for me. I'm like, fine. My point is like, I actually know how to run a business. I've run a successful business. I've gotten a book published. I have had a successful corporate career. I have a lot of successes in my life that are a result of my own hard work and free will. But in the case where I have the utmost freedom, I'm having trouble figuring out the best way to make it work and to make it thrive. And I'm in the best case scenario. And I think that when people over are overly anecdotal about their ability to do something within a specific set of circumstances, within constraints that aren't being explicitly stated, they're giving bad advice that's not going to work for other people. And their mission of encouraging people to be their best lives is actually going to backfire because it's giving people permission to live their best life so long as they can find themselves in similar circumstances that you are. And that's where it gets to be problematic. And everybody has the right to share their story. We only know our personal experience. All of my advice I've talked about before, how I struggle with giving um, subjective advice that ignores privilege because it's not helpful if people aren't starting from the same place I am. But at the same time, you want to be honest about your own experience and you don't want to overly sugarcoat it or uh, make it so objective that it's not really, you know, hitting people at an emotional level. Because I think when you do emotionally identify something, there is a level of relatability or you can at least operate as a vehicle for that sort of emotion and understand where the person's coming from. But I think that the only real thing you can do because you can't change who you are, or where you're from, is what you do with it and acting in service to your community and to actively try to offset the things you were given that other people don't have access to for no other reason besides you being born. And I think there's it's all about just kind of that acknowledgement even. And it's just interesting to read something that 
is very specific to her situation consistently is like kind of that curated vulnerability about opening up about one's struggles but you the only reason you're really doing that is because everything's okay now you know like i'm really successful look at all this stuff i've been through occasionally god is name dropped as being partially responsible and it just didn't it's just not somebody that i guess i'm personally inspired or moved by i am all for self-actualization paths of self-realization i'm all for owning who you are i'm all for ridding ourselves of needless anxieties, neuroses that are holding us back that aren't true of writing fiction in our heads. I believe in all of the things that she theoretically teaches about, you know, really finding and owning and sitting in your truth. But there with self-help, the issue with any self-help is that it needs to be so heavily nuanced in that just like you wouldn't go buy every item in your closet from one store or you shouldn't go to just one makeup counter and buy every single product you need to pick and choose different elements of self-help, of guidance, mentorship, wherever you get your advice. I just think there is no one size fits all. And the way that she comes across so strong and harsh and says like, well, I had these struggles, but I'm great now. And even though I gave myself grace in the process to work through this, I'm going to harshly instruct you how to live your life and say it's tough love under you know the guise of women's empowerment when really... I'm just oversimplifying a lot of complicated issues women face that shouldn't be minimized because at that point, not only are, you know, you kind of shaming people in a sense with this quote unquote tough love for not reaching their full potential and happiness that allegedly has been in control this whole time. So they're effectively feeling like feeling like they wasted a lot of time. You're also making people feel badly about the things they cannot change. And there are a lot of aspects of mental health and anxiety or effects of trauma or past experience that you simply cannot think your way out of that require therapy, that may require medication, that require a lot of time and individualized processing that just really can't be fixed with a one size fits all motivational quote. And I think that for people that are really struggling or maybe coming to this book and really do want to change their lives, it's perhaps refreshing to have somebody speak to them so frankly, but I think it's basically making people feel bad about where they're at for a moment, feel inspired about where they're going, but then to come back down really hard when they realize that they cannot physically change enough in their environment to meet the criteria that they would have to to succeed under Rachel Hollis's plan. And it's just a matter of providing more practical advice acknowledging the role privilege plays, acknowledging, you know, what is actually like God talking to you and what like are active decisions you made. I think that a lot of universe type talk can get really gross to me when people talk about uh, certain aspects of like manifestation and uh, synchronicity and coincidence. Like I believe in all those things and they've had a huge effect on my life, but I also never noticed them until I started reading more about that and read a lot of books about kind of like metaphysical energetic principles that are kind of wacky but interesting and tried some exercises and like I'm just kind of a seeker and I'm not overly like pigeonholed in any one religion or belief system so I very much you know like when you go to a soda machine at a Fuddruckers when you're a kid and they call it a suicide, which I hate that word, but it's when you literally like, like put all the, like have all the sodas and basically create some sort of garbage that's like worse quality than Surge. 
that's like kind of what I do with any like belief system or faith. And I just like take take what I want, leave what I want, because I just think everything is so individualized in life and you only know what works for you. And when um, I hear I believe a lot of the universal type principles, but I also whenever I watch, you know, women that own like coaching businesses or consulting agencies be like, today I was met with my truth. And it spoke to me. My inner voice told me exactly what I needed. I'm like, Ugh, like, this is so annoying. Like, what practical business steps did you actually do to get there? I'm not denying that you have an inner voice. But the problem is in saying that it comes across like, well, geez, why don't I have an inner voice? Like, why doesn't God talk to me? Like, what, uh, he clearly talks to Joanna Gaines all the time. It's all she talks about in her book. But like, he's never telling me to close down or start my business or to buy this type of paint primer. And I don't know. I, I just think that that there's a level of tone deafness to people that are overly into universal type talk because trust me, I want it all to be true. And I love it as much as the next person. Um, but as I've gotten more in depth into these types of accounts and social media, I'm like, if I think this is tone deaf, I can't even believe what somebody in a, dif in a different situation, how they must feel responding to it. And I just feel like the prevalence of self-help in very like dumbed down, overly generalized female focused self-help i need self-help as a reprieve from all of the self-help nonsense and i do, and i i don't want to seem condescending but my concern is less about like them it's not it's not wrong it's that i want people to know better than to take everything they believe and do from one person's subjective anecdotal situation because there's just a lot more to it and i know people lean on the wisdom of others in times of uncertainty and i know we should read other stories as examples of, of the importance of self-discovery, but you can't take it as gospel. And what brings you inner peace is individualized. And the process isn't as simple as reading a book or subscribing to one theory or email newsletter or whatever. And in seeking these kind of bed-in-a-bag self-help solutions, you, you forgo the inevitable clunkiness of finding your own answers. I think that's kind of what makes the world go round. Like, Everyone defines themselves through their own unique set of experiences, interpretations of information and values, beliefs they take or leave from wherever with whatever works for them. And then they communicate it in a way that hopefully will propel somebody else to find their truth. You, you can't take insular advice that feels unnatural or go crazy following a blueprint of one person or one thing because there isn't one because we're all so different on a very cellular level. So wherever you get your information, I don't care if it's from Rachel. I don't care if it's from Gabby Bernstein. I don't care. I, I kind of care if it's from Tony Robbins because I think he's a creep and something's been up with him this entire time. And if somebody's asking you, telling you that you need to pay $15,000 and that's your ticket to freedom and self-acceptance, you like, oh my God, no, absolutely not. That is a scam. Why does that man need all that money? If he really was altruistic and cared about your best interest, he wouldn't be robbing you blind. That's a different thing. Um, I just think it's... It's it's to read all you want and and take in all you want, but reject what feels unnatural to you. Reject what doesn't match your situation, and don't let anybody shame you into you needing to be or feel or look or act a certain way. I don't take to the tough love advice well. Just as she might say, you need to snap out of the lies you're telling yourself. I would say, well, if you being sensitive to this sort of thing is something that affects you work around that. Don't just tell yourself that you can think yourself out of being sensitive to this one thing or caring about what people think or 
you know, I, 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 that's, that's, yeah, I could go on and on. I think that self-acceptance, self-acceptance isn't artificially ignoring all of the issues you have and just trying to be like more mentally strong and like power through it anyway. It's about acknowledging their presence, welcoming them to your door, your anxiety, your fear, your neuroses, your past and saying, we're here, we need to cohabitate together, we need to make this work, it's not always gonna be pretty, but this is who I am, this is the hand I've been dealt, and I'm gonna maximize the situation the best way I can, and that might not look the exact same as everybody else's, but nobody sure as hell is going to tell me how to live my life, or what I am, or I'm not doing wrong, because you are the only person who should have say over that. Oof, she gets me heated. Please nobody tag her. I'm sure she's lovely. That's the thing, I wanna write books. I love talking to you guys, I love, I, I give insular advice. I don't want to be a hypocrite, but I do I do struggle with that one. Um, okay, I now we're like a major 180 to Bravo after these brief messages. God bless my sponsor for this week, hence why I'm doing an almost two-hour episode. <laughs> Had a lot of questions about Housewives of Beverly Hills, of New York, of and of Southern Charm. Love Southern Charm so much. Best show on Bravo. Best inherent drama. You can't make this shiz up. So good. If you don't watch any Bravo, watch Vanderpump Rules, watch Southern Charm, prepared to be delighted. Um, I know I've said that a million times, in case you're new here. Uh, Beverly Hills is, is boring me. Lisa Vanderpump quit as of yesterday. Major shocker. Radar Online said she's today that she's thinking of taking it to another network. I'm like, did she also plant that with Radar Online? It's like very inception of Radar Online post issues. Like that's why she's getting kicked off the show. And then she's announcing that it's she's getting kicked off the show via Radar Online to then threaten the network that she's going to take it somewhere else. So hopefully they'll see it on Radar Online. It's like, you're a snake. I'm sorry. Anybody who's watched more than five seasons of Beverly Hills knows that Lisa has been doing this for way too long. Her house of cards is falling. She finally got caught doing her antics. I don't think she's a bad person. I just think she's sneaky and she lacks personal accountability and she's not a very good friend and she was getting called out for it. And if anything, it makes me think differently about like Brandy Glanville and stuff, you know, like she was the first person to be caught in the crossfire of Lisa and ultimately taken down because people were more scared of Lisa than they were willing to believe Brandy, which Brandy's never been my favorite character. There's so much manufactured, like glass throwing and stuff. And she was mean to Eileen and I love Eileen stand for life. Um, I just, I don't know. It makes you kind of think, right? I, the, I, I'm still annoyed. Why aren't we on Erica Jane's tour? <clears throat> Why wasn't she in Hawaii? Why was her Halloween costume so uneventful, just like a basic cheetah you could buy at a party city when, I mean, her day-to-day looks are more strong than her Halloween look, which is the day you're supposed to dress up. So maybe it's this kind of like meta thing where every day is Halloween for Erica Jane. So actual Halloween, she actually is dressing down because out of character for her is being downplayed. You know what I mean? But the fact that, you know, she wore a skin-tight pleather shirt that took hours of baby powdering and like a full three-person squad to put on her and a $10,000 ponytailed hairpiece with a blunt bang to just, like, walk the streets of Berlin. And when I say streets, to walk from the, like, sprinter van into a restaurant, and then nobody else saw her. I mean, her looks are so extra all the time. It was disappointing that on the day of utmost extraness, she she fell short. But it's okay. I still support her, and I just want to see more of her. I'm not mad. The other thing, too, was I, like, her look in that leopard getup, 
with um, the the champagne glass. I said reminds me of Clue. She just looks perfect, like this weird caricature of herself in this own persona, and I want more of it. And she looks like a Guess Who character I would pick, named Sheila. And I just, I don't know. I, I want, I need more Erica Jane. Is the bottom line. But I'm sure she felt silly when Lisa Rinna brings it and comes dressed as you. I thought that whole scene was cute. My God, I loved that costume. I loved Erica Jane's face lighting up, being like, "Bitch, you dressed as me!" And you could tell she was so excited. It was a very heartwarming friendship moment. However, Lisa Rinna ruined it by trying to pretend to act like Erica and by being really tough and bitchy, which Erica can be. But like, okay, take it down a notch. Like, if I saw somebody impersonating my personality, I'd be like, "This isn't funny anymore." You know what, it, it felt inappropriate, it felt weird. I didn't care about her talking to Kim Richards. Honestly, I turned it off at that point. I was a little bit bored. Um, that was last week. This past week, it was a little too real with the fires and Amelia's anorexia. It, I don't know. It, it, kind of similar to the mammogram storyline with Lisa and Kyle. It's like, I think I want my reality shows to be real until I realize, no, I want to transcend my own reality. And when I say I want to watch reality TV, I want to, I mean, I want to watch like a bunch of rich people do stuff I'll never get to do or experience and sit there contemplating their individual contribution to the world. And if I think there's deservedness and all that they've been given through this immense platform, <laughs> that's how I like to react, <laughs> relax. Um, but yeah, kind of over in general. Um, New York. Okay. I also turned off New York, but then I did rewatch it again because I thought about it a little bit differently. There was so much drinking. It was so dark. Sonia, to me, reads less as a just straight up alcoholic drunk and more as a person who when she's taking like painkillers or anxiety medication and drinking, it turns her into a loopy mess. It really turns anybody into a loopy mess. I've seen many a time people drink on Xanax and been like, hey, did you just take anxiety meds? You're acting loopy. And because there is a difference between a drunk person and a drunk medicated person. And um, I really think that's what's, what's happening. It's upsetting because she really did turn her life around the past couple seasons. And now she seems to be spiraling. But like, it seems like one of those things where she really doesn't seem to realize it in real time and maybe won't realize it until she sees it back. She was insufferable at that cabaret audition, even though Luann's the most insufferable. But to be fair, she's trying to get sober. People aren't exactly respecting her boundaries. That said, it seems pretty clear that she was probably drinking the whole time. And therein lies the issue. Um... Sonia's not wrong, though. People do keep sleeping with her exes. Luann is acting like she's better than everybody else. I mean, these things are incorrect, but their the delivery is god-awful and it's embarrassing. And to the point where you're being carried out in a gurney and, like, Tinsley and Ramona are, like, stepping over you. Like, oh, sucks to be you. We're hitting the town. I mean, just goes to show how, like, par for the course this behavior and a potential alcohol-related injury is, you know? It's, like, just so different. Like, Luann falls in a bush and we laugh. Sonia like smacks her head on a table and blacks out and we're like okay yeah this isn't funny anymore and yet her friends still like step over her unconscious body to like go find men at the fountain blue or whatever um Bethany walking in a room going I'm not here to listen I'm here to talk is so terrifying that I would just walk the plank right then and there she scares the crap out of me Luann, I guess, is used to it at this point. And Luann was being, like, annoying, but I am kind of surprised Bethany was taking her side given the charade Sonia was putting on. The whole episode was weird, and it was sloppy, and it was depressing. And it was, like, a good episode, theoretically, but there's some, there's just a lot of darkness in the amount of 
drinking and what appears to be substance abuse going on that's being ignored. I feel like it's ignored at Bravo reunions. I feel like it's ignored on Vanderpump Rules. I feel like the role on, on Southern Charm, the role of drugs and alcohol and the behavior of the people is so intertwined with it being a quality show that the show's lack of acknowledgement of it at times reads suspicious and dark to me. And at times I care more than others and I drink a lot too. And I mean, whatever, everybody has their stuff. But when people are borderline getting hurt or getting arrested or in Thomas Ravenel's case, doing the un unimaginable to their staff, it's like, God, these, sometimes people, you know, really do need to be held accountable. And like for Luann to be in rehab or on probation and go to jail and whatnot for her alcohol problems and to suggest that that doesn't exist for Sonia. It's just like, it's an interesting and frustrating double standard, I guess, that would drive me crazy if I were Luann, but I find her to be uh, like not enjoyable this season and the cabaret that she's taking so seriously. Like I'm happy for her and I could never sell out the Chicago theater and I did pay $60 for those tickets, but it, it, I mean, it just, it had so much potential to be good and be filled with inside jokes and funny housewives things and more modern music, but it just fell flat. And I don't know if she noticed that. And that's why she had those two mimosas allegedly after the Chicago show. But A, why are you drinking mimosas at night? And B, why just that show? You know, she said it was to celebrate. Maybe she thought she crushed it. But like, literally, people were like ordering takeout food in the audience. I swear, like nobody was paying attention. It was like uh, people were talking. Uh, people were standing. It, I mean, it just it was semi unbelievable. OK, lastly, Southern Charm. We'll breeze through this, I promise. Um, well, Southern Charm is my favorite show on Bravo. It, that and Vanderpump Rules, unparalleled drama-wise, inherent drama-wise, the actual friendships, the seasons just seamlessly build, and the drama evolves. It doesn't, it's not forced. It, it's like, I love, love, love it. And you guys know I'm in love with Chelsea, the queen of breezy. Um, but beyond that, a couple of the things people ask me about on the podcast, or sorry, on the Instagram question bubble, is for my thoughts on the Austin and Madison situation. And first of all, I'd like to say I'm disappointed. Madison is not Victoria, the girl that wore a fashion hat to the Trot Pop sipping party last <laughs> year, who I, re I really kind of uh, reamed for wearing a fashion hat to this evening outdoor function that was otherwise quite casual, looking like, I don't know, she was in like a 2004 Candies ad sponsored by Jenny McCarthy. It was very just like... Uh, the the first two years Kim Kardashian had money, she dressed like, y y okay, you don't go from like shopping at Forever 21 to getting some money and going straight to like Fendi or Gucci or whatever. There, there's a graduation. And I, you know, I'm not quite Forever 21. I still shop there for some of my trendy basics. But... I am at like, I'm like an ASOS place in my life, which I, I is an honor and a privilege. If I got money tomorrow, I wouldn't necessarily graduate to, you know, high-end couture to wearing Chanel. I would probably be like, hell yeah, I'm shopping at Revolve. I'm buying Alice and Olivia dresses. Like, you know, it's stuff that's in the five, six hundred dollar price point that just is too much for me. Kim did a similar thing, but instead of like, you know, a tasteful stair step, it was more just like, a swan dive into Oxford shirts under sweater vests with school, a schoolgirl skirt and like high boots or wearing a camisole under like a low V wrap sweater with a giant chunky belt around her waist and a large hoop earring. It was a, a lot of um, 
knee-high boots with like no tights or stockings and no pants with short skirts and then tops that were kind of concealing her boobs and she was wearing sleeves and she dresses how we all dress when we don't really like want all of our parts to be out there in front of the cameras but we don't have like superstar trainers and diets yet so it wasn't bad it was just very like it was expensive clothes that wasn't that weren't like of the best taste or high fashion or whatever why am i on this tangent i am talking about victoria i don't even remember what victoria was wearing honestly my entire point is that i in situations especially where you're up against somebody's ex that they're still in love with it's in your best interest to look impossibly gorgeous and like you didn't try at all. That is the best balance and that is what Chelsea does brilliantly and that is honestly how I want to live my life. I want to basically have gorgeous hair and makeup but have those like Linus Charlie Brown like odor streaks coming off me just because I'm like whatever I rolled out of bed even though I didn't I spent hours. But anyway <laughs> I'm kidding I don't want to be Linus though I do have a childhood blanket that I sleep with every night. It wasn't working for me. It was a little too try-hard for Charleston. It was too overdressed for the scenery. And when you're up against Chelsea and her, you know, carefree Levi's and just a simple tank top, and she looks like, you know, Gigi Hadid, and the girl with the fashion hat looks like a cheetah girl, it's like, well, you know, what are you going to do? You, you got to match the breezy. However, with the Madison and Austin thing, I think they deserve each other. Listen, I don't know what Madison did or didn't do, but I have seen that Austin threesome video. It's very frat boy triggering for me. I have, I have, I have such an issue, like a chip on my shoulder, because it's kind of just like in my own head. There were so many gross, drunk, tall, southern-ish frat guys that were mean to me, and I wasn't hot enough to be spoken to, and they were really nice to my friends, but if you can't hook up with them they're not interested in, interested in you and I never got invited to their date parties or their formals and I just felt like they were all like a smidge like I don't know there was just like an undertone of like general bigotry and sexism that I don't think I could identify as well in college but now I replay things in my head and my rage knows no bounds and I've talked about this type of guy before wears an ill-fitting polo with some khaki shorts non-cargo which is good but still they're getting shorter and shorter as the years progress he has a very wet stain on his shirt, either from a beer dribble or from chugging, you know, from beer pong or flip cup, or maybe just, you know, a little too much kickoff that like hairy, dirty water cup from the beer pong after being like, is there beer in that cup? And they kind of have like either dip mouth where they've like been dipping and spitting into solo cups and you find unsuspecting ones around the house that may or may not be your drink, but you look into it and see the like, oh, I could literally puke talking about it. And think that they they want like the premise and the stability of like having a girlfriend and being committed and being a gentleman. Like people, guys that are obsessed with being gentlemen aren't gentlemen. It's kind of like, you know, money talks, wealth whispers. It's like douchebags talk, gentlemen's whisper. You don't, gentlemen, it's, it's subtlety despite who's looking, despite who you are. It, it, douchebags are very, um, can, have, uh, ch are in the business of the charm of convenience. When they can get something out of you, want something out of you, trying to impress somebody around you, whatever. Um, Austin and sometimes Shep remind me of these type of guys. And I don't know. And I'm being so judgmental and harsh and I don't know them personally. But just the fact that like Austin's probably like, I'm a gentleman. I want a wife. You know, I love my family. It's the right thing to do. Da, da, da. She's the girl of my dreams. To like think that you do that and then just have the liberty to go have a threesome with other people. And then to yell and like 
admonish and shame the girlfriend who caught you doing something terrible and to make her feel bad about it. Like she's doing something wrong. It's disgusting. It's like gaslighting 101. It's it's a problem. And these are the male behaviors that I have no time for. And I don't even want on my television. And that's why I'm so, so glad Thomas Ravenel is gone. I think Austin like seems like a nice guy. And I like how much he likes his family. It's very sad what happened to his brother as a kid. Everybody's got their stuff. Everybody's got their journey and their reason. I just, that video left such a bad taste in my mouth. I feel like he's still in love with Chelsea, which respect. Um, but the threesome video, it was, I just, it's like one thing to get caught doing something and stepping out, whatever. People can make mistakes. It's a whole other thing to be screaming at your girlfriend because you were cheating on her. You know what I mean? So that pisses me off. So I'm just really not on his team, period. I came back a little bit when he was like crying over her because I was like, okay, maybe there's some damage here that I'm miss, you know, directing as just general douchebaggery. Um, but Madison admitted she had her friend send that message to Gentry, not to be confused with Gentry Bourbon of JD, ruddy, red face, raging alcoholism, Gentry. Um, uh, or the Gentry Bourbon, the what Craig said was his live stream, and he was gonna not be a lawyer for it. But then he didn't even like understand what like distilling meant or what was different between bourbon and whiskey. That was all really an adorable phase for Craig. Speaking of his assistant, um, so funny. She was like, "We need to do your W nine, and he's like, "What's that?" And then she was like, <laughs> "She's like, well, we need to." He's like, "We need to re- like you know look over this contract as if she should do it." And then she was like, "You're a lawyer," and he's like, "Oh yeah." I mean, he's, oh God, bless his heart. I hope he's as pure and as well-meaning as he appears. I'm a fan. I want to go to the Bahamas with him. I would have him on my podcast and be like, you know what, buddy? I have a lot of hobbies, interests too. I like to craft. I like to start businesses. I like to utterly confuse everyone around me with what I'm doing at a given time. But, you know, I I, I understand his plight. He really loved Gizmo, that cat, and I hope he's doing well without him. (laughs) That was funny when Cameron got red-faced and blushed around Matul and Naomi's boyfriend. I mean, he's a babe. But I haven't seen much of his personality yet. And you know, I'm a personality gal. Muscles don't do much for me. Um, anyway, so I it appears, well, Madison's admitted she's guilty. So I don't really have an opinion on that. It seems like she just is looking for the next best, best thing. Austin's an in for her on the show. It's probably not like the man of her dreams. She's probably kind of just, you know, dragging him along. And they probably are mutually not as into each other if they're both being unfaithful. And it just seems like a terrible relationship they both shouldn't be in because... Some people are fundamentally bad, but some people uh, get exhibit bad behavior when presented with a certain dynamic that brings out a part of their personality that's not necessarily favorable. I can see that happening in both of their cases. I'm very upset about Catherine on several layers. One, she's she bought a Rolls Royce that she's already having repainted. I hate... Uh, needless expenses and displays of wealth when you're not in a position to be living that way. I understand she probably has child support. I understand she makes money from Gwen's of Mount Pleasant TM product placement. I understand that, you know, there there could be more. She's a Calhoun, whatever that means, a vice presidential derivative family member. Um, I understand that, you know, something could else could be contributing to that $6,600 a month house. But she went from like having nothing, like being in a tiny, tiny place with her two kids to like living large and nothing is measurably changed besides like her being on a show, which is a comparable salary to the rest of them. And like Cam still having to hawk, you know, Vanity Planet face brushes. So I don't really know why Catherine would be rolling in it. And um, I just I don't know. 
that doesn't sit right with me. I just, I, I just don't, I get upset when people like need to save for their family and be responsible and like make the right decision. And there's other ways to spend your money than on things that are true investments instead of a thing that depreciates immediately or that just like looks cool. I just don't understand sinking a ton of money into just looking really wealthy because most people are going to be able to sniff out your general situation and you're not magically going from a, a RAV4 to a Rolls in 18 months time. So that begs the question, is Whitney bankrolling you somehow? Like, I don't know Patricia's situation. I, if you have a full-time butler that I hope is there at will, I assume you do. Um, but her sleeping with Whitney is one of the more upsetting, the second thing I'm upset about, because he literally tried to take her down. He tried to get her arrested. He tried to help, like, aid Thomas in her losing custody of her children. He spread lies about her. He turned everybody against her. He made it his mission to take down a new mother who was in an abusive relationship. And I, I think it's disgusting. And I can't believe she's going back to him. And she's, I don't, I guess, forgiven him. And like, maybe they're both playing the card if we were manipulated by Thomas. But it, uh, Craig was so dead right when he said that, you know, what nobody's talking about is that Whitney's jealous and always wanted to be with Catherine. And I don't know. I'm just, I'm not here for the Whitney Catherine storyline, I'm not charmed by it. I was charmed momentarily when Catherine and Shep were bowling last season, but I think that ship has sailed. Also, I want to point out that, God, her dating a senator out of Florida who already has, like, mugshots to boot, plenty of domestic disputes. I mean, come on. God, like, I, the repeating of patterns and choosing men's upsetting. The only thing she could say they have in common is that they both get spray tans. Is that, did I hear that right? But also what was I was really laughing about is that, as we all know from the office, a state senator is not the same as a senator-senator. And, you know, I guess I should have said, as we all know from basic American civics, a state senator is different from a real senator. But no, remember when Angela was dating the state, state senator? And I just remember Oscar kept saying it over and over to clarify, and that's the only reason I know that that exists. So I thought that was, like, an amazing tidbit. And... um I'm watching Below Deck tonight. I'm watching the Summer House finale tonight. We did reach out to Kyle about uh, advertising Loverboy. Unfortunately, it is still pre-launch, but he did respond to our email. So <laughs> yeah, anybody who responds to me is really clean slate in my book. Oh, lastly, Below Deck. Oh, my God. The chef Mila. I I'm interested in the dynamic of a female chef. I'm excited for it. I think that the new stews... I used to get so frustrated with Hannah on Below Deck when I first started it because she said the word stew so much and something about the Australian accent paired with the volume of stew. I'm chief stew and your third stew and the second stew reports to me with you the third stew and if we're stewing and making stew for the guests, we stews need to serve the stew. And then I'm just sitting there stewing in my rage about stew. Um, but anyways, that chef microwaving the steaks. Oof, I haven't had such an averse reality TV reaction to steak being mistreated since Jesse from 90 Day Fiance was trying to argue Darcy that you don't cut steak on the bias, and she was right. I can't believe she made those god-awful microwave nachos. I mean, I make those so regularly and primarily after 11 p.m. Shredded cheese, a nice plate of nachos, you heat them till they're borderline soggy, and you really only enjoy the first two bites and then look down and think, God, this is inedible. What am I doing with my life? But it's convenient, and I'm not a chef, and that's why I make it. For her to try to pass that off as a, an adequate appetizer when we've seen Adam and Ben make true works of art, 
I want to, I just, I want her to do well. And I really hope that's not indicative of her skill level. Sandy, who follows me on Instagram, by the way. Hey, girl. Um, Captain Sandy seemed impressed by her resume. I know nothing about culinary resumes, but I take it that Sandy's worked enough to, with chefs to know what is and isn't legit. And I'm just, I'm hoping for the best, but that was truly horrible. And it made me cringe so bad. Um, and the fact that the one Stu gave that the, uh, one of the primaries, a Coors Light. And she was like, oh my God, the mountains are blue. You brought me a Coors Light. I was like banging my head against the wall. I'm like, you're on this, you know, 50 plus thousand dollar a week to charter, even though you got a TV discount, whatever yacht with some of the finest French wines at your fingertips and you're drinking a Coors Light. Not to be pretentious, but just, you know, support the local economy. At least drink a French beer. Is there French beer? Is that a thing? I don't know, even if it's not from France, just drink like a La Fin du Monde, even though it's brewed in Quebec. But it's a respectable semi-craft brew. I just can't with the course lights. But again, I hate light mainstream beer brands. I know that's not a likable thing about me, but it just tastes like water and I get really full and just never did for me what wine or a margarita could. Um, and if I have somebody on call that I'm already paying to make me cocktails... I'm, I'm going to get stuff made. I'm going to get mojitos. I hate muddling that mint. But if somebody's already being paid to be there and they have time to muddle, they have a mortar and pestle, just like, you know, burning a hole in the counter, we're making mojitos. So I just don't really get, you know, that concept. I, I Again, I say this every year, and I just want to reiterate from the bottom of my heart. <laughs> if you are independently wealthy and you want an experience of a lifetime, below deck and below deck med, cast regularly to get people on these charters. I still think they cost about $30,000 and you are on the hook for a tip. But I think that's at least out discounted at 50%. And you can bring like up to, I don't know, about six to eight people. So it's like kind of a deal, but it's also like if you're that rich, you probably don't care about deals. But I just like to let you know that if you're independently wealthy and want to be on a reality show and want to, you know, really have a firsthand uh, live podcast extravaganza experiment where we're inside the belly of the beast, I would happily come with you on your below deck charter and film with you. And I would try to make it as fun as possible. I might even take off my beach shorts. I mean, not to go crazy, but we could be tracing the outlines of Cassiopeia with my moles as I so appealingly detailed earlier. <laughs> but truly, if I if I had like if I just had a lot of money, I would 100% go on below deck. I know it's not great that like people are talking bad about you behind your back, but I also know all the right strings to pull to make good TV. I would be like, I want the slide out. I want it out now. I'd go down at once. I'd be like, put away the slide. Joao, suck it. You really two-timed Casey and Brooke last season. I don't believe for a second that Brooke cheated on him and that he wants to be with her. I think jo jo Joao was always a major playboy. Colin is a doll. He operates like a steamboat off of Fire Island. He loves to bust rhymes. I really appreciate a good poem. I do not pass it off as a rap. I do think there are elements of r public rapping that are a little cringy. Then I watched the Summer House finale and saw Jordan recite a poem. And while it made people laugh, as a person that likes to publicly, publicly recite poems, I cringed for myself. Anywho. Also, side note. My parents got invited on a trip with a friend to the Mediterranean and are currently below decking on a yacht in the Med. We are, we are normal people. This is not something we regularly do. They are sending me enough photos so I know what's going on, but not too many. So I'm feeling badly about not being there because, I mean, I, I truly that I, I oh gosh, 
I just love, I would love, love, love to go on a yachting trip. And even though I don't, I say I don't like the tropics or the water or the sun, a yacht is built in shade. It has everything I like amenities wise. I love when people fold my towels and make my bed. I love getting coffee in the morning. I love having drinks made for me. I love not having to deal with the transit between cities on like trains, planes, and automobiles. And you just like boat from port to port. I love a dinghy. I honestly, I love all these things that I've never done that I've just seen on TV and it looks like a good time. So when my parents' friend was chartering a boat, they got invited on this vacation. And I mean, it just seems absolutely incredible. And I was trying to give my mom advice who does not watch Below Deck. But, you know, she I, I don't know how much she was retaining. I was like, don't you dare step on a rope. Because the tender is going to go out to sea, be pulled with forces greater than gravity, and you're then at risk for having your foot cut off, much like that dude in the past season. What was his name? Andy? Adrian? Audubon? <laughs> Ashton. <laughs> and I was like, remember, there's a real Downton Abbey thing happening here. Even though you're regular people, the, the crew is going to talk badly about you. It just is what it is. So as much as you can minimize that, it'll work in your favor. You know, never complain about the food until after the meal is done. Your foie gras cupcake will get spit into. Um, you know, it is your right and privilege to use every toy in the ocean. And no matter how much the bosun complains, it's literally his job. So I have absolutely no patience for people that don't want to blow up the slide. I, well, I guess I, if I was on like a friend's boat, I wouldn't be like a jerk. But if I were on my own below deck charter with you, my new independently wealthy friend who's going to invite me on it, um, I would most certainly be like, oh, we're having like three beach parties, like oh, meals only on the beach and just like enjoy the the misery and great content that's going to ensue on the show because literally all anybody does is rage against a beach party. Like, I'm so sorry. Six figures of paying for this doesn't warrant you carrying a, a small cooler, you know, five minutes offshore, Kate Chastain. <laughs> Relax. But Anyway, all that to say, I'm very, I'm excited for my parents. They're having a fun vacation. They deserve it. They are truly the best parents in the entire world. And um, it's so great when like your schedule can align and you have a good friend who's doing something fun, who's wants to take you along for the ride. And I look forward to riding my friend's coattails for many, many years in the future. Anyway, guys, I hope I've covered mostly everything. There are some other questions about Taylor Swift and whatnot, but you know, I'm going to wait till something happens. I, I, I feel like when I first started talking about Taylor, it was more educational because my audience was not all that aware. They were kind of fair weather casual fans that were like, well, we didn't know how extra all of this was. And it was fun to kind of speak from an educational standpoint. But then when it shifts to people being like, what does this mean? What is going on? When's it happening? I'm like, oh, I'm not an authority. Like, I don't really know anything. I just love to editorialize and guess and have fun with it. And it's been interesting because as the podcast has grown, much to my delight, also income people that ha don't have the context or don't know me as well because they haven't listened for a while and don't really know my intentions or my status or fandom or whatever. And as I've said before, you know, I definitely get some colorful messages from Taylor Swift fans. Um, but what's been interesting beyond that is like in the sources that I dig into and read to get a good cross section of what people are talking about for content for the podcast to kind of synthesize to review what's going on in pop culture, I it's very meta in that I'm starting to like see myself in some of these forums and it's not always favorable. And then when that happens, I just want to like close my laptop, throw it through a window and, you know, put everything in that moment. I, I, I bounce back. But it's like one of those weird things where I like very much I started this podcast because I'm a consumer of all of these sources that when you yourself start to be a part of the conversation it's this discomfort i have and this 
self-consciousness I have and this thing. I don't know. It, it's it's interesting. I need to work through it. I need to figure out the best thing to do for me. The the I'm so happy I listened to this podcast over the weekend. Um, it was Conan O'Brien's Conan O'Brien needs a friend, and he was interviewing Howard Stern. And toward the middle end of the podcast, they talked about how they can think they had the best show or did the funniest bit or whatever. And they see one comment or hear from one person or go on Twitter and see one person being like, that was awful. Then their entire opinion of it changes. And they're like seasoned, decorated professionals. I mean, Howard freaking Stern. So, and I know that sounds simple and like, yeah, obviously everybody cares what people think about them, but I feel like so much of the advice I get, whether from other entrepreneurs, influencers, or, you know, th- through a secondary or third way from celebrities, public figures, it's always like, you'll grow a thick skin, it stings, but you'll stop caring, don't pay attention to it, block it all out, da 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 da. And I've kind of lately been like, you know what, kind of what I was talking about earlier with like the Rachel Hollis thing, it's like, I don't always think it's about like, telling yourself like, stop caring, stop caring, stop caring. It's more like, okay, I'm a highly sensitive person. I do care. That's probably what makes me good at my job and able to be more vulnerable and open up to people is because I'm sensitive. So why should I beat myself up about caring about feedback? I desperately need the positive feedback and I need to be able to read the negative and be okay with it. Is there a separation between productive negative feedback and then just like hyperbolic internet chatter that is out of context and people just see something I said or a screenshot or whatever and without context they give their opinion for like a laugh or maybe it's an inside joke or maybe I don't really understand what they're talking about like those are the things I have to block out because they get in my head but at the same time I still want to have access to these places and the internet's a lot less fun when you're worried people are talking about you is I guess what I'm saying but all of that to say I think I've been waiting to be like okay well once I'm at this point I want to make this much money I won't be sensitive. I won't be self-conscious. I'll be like laughing all the way to the bank and people can say what they want. But I'm realizing as time goes on and this grows and that it's just, it's who I am and it's fine. And I just need to figure out how to, you know, work around it instead of let it consume me. And in hearing people like Conan and Howard and other successful people be like, oh no, we have to actively avoid any sort of negative commentary because despite all of our awards, fame, money, accolades, the the negative opinion of one person still has the ability to mentally eclipse all the positive feedback. And that's something where objectively I could have been harsh on because you guys know I hate when people harp on haters. It's like you have two people sending you DMs. Why are you breathing life into it and, and airing it out in the public and bringing attention to this problem? Only a couple of people have that nobody else recognized instead of just focusing on the positive. But I totally get that it, it gets in your head and it, it doesn't stay there rent free and you have to just figure out the best way to adapt and all that to say I just wanted to encourage people to listen to that interview basically especially if you're a highly sensitive person or if you take things too personally and you're just like oh when am I gonna grow a thick skin like why am I so weak I I I'm getting to a place in life where I just I think that um like to a degree sensitivity is largely my strength and I am going to stop making myself feel badly for caring much to Rachel Hollis's chagrin, I'm sure. Um, But anyway, I like cannot even imagine what a lot of the bloggers and influencers go through. Like the internet forums are brutal. I won't even give them traffic. It's like, there's one, there's like fun gossip and then there's just like evil people. And it's very scary uh, once you see the dark side. And um, yeah, I I don't know. I, I actually got a question on the Instagram thing about like, 
I need an update on your on Rachel Parcell and Amber Phillips houses who are the Mormon mommy bloggers that I love. And I have I have a lot to say about that. I'm wondering what's going on with Rachel's sister's engagement or younger sister. I'm blanking on her name. It's not Amy. It's not Emily. It's the other one. Meg, Meg Scala. Um, she had this like, I feel like the her engagement was like live streamed. Like I was there. I experienced it. It was lovely. Seems to have deleted the photos of her fiance and has been MIA on social media. And I hope all is well. Here's the thing. I love to talk about bloggers because I love to obsess over uh, what I think are at times are needless displays of wealth. I love to obsess over their success, over the way they articulate themselves, the projects they choose to work on, their new construction, their butler's pantries, their package receiving rooms, their dog washes, their you know inflatable uh, big movie screens for their two toddler children to watch from a hot tub while they like ice cream clones only to get out to go into their cozy, you know, restoration hardware monogrammed terry cloth robes up to their bedroom adjacent to their own individual playhouses that are miniature models of their homes. Like I I love to experience the the lifestyles of the bonkers successful influencers that just seem to have absolutely crushed it and I love seeing how they spend their money and what they choose to share. But I don't I won't talk unfavorably about their kids or spouses or like families. I just get invested in the storyline. So I'm like, what's up with her fiance? But it's not like I'm going to talk about her like looks or clothes or whatever. I like to talk about people's behavior and their decisions. But I think where a lot of people go wrong in talking about bloggers and influencers is really like going in on their looks or their marriage or their kids or whatever. And even though, you know, it's hard at times because you want to talk about it because people like to talk about people and I even do it too. I try to stay to like houses, business decisions, talking favorably of how cute their kids are because I'm obsessed with Amber's family and, uh, you know, just general like real estate, uh, business decisions. If they copy other people's dresses, all of that's on the table for me. I think it's interesting to talk about. As I've said many times, I think influencers are a new form of celebrity that don't really get like the they they have all the negative trollishness of a celebrity, but none of the perks of a celebrity because they don't have like security. They don't have like bonkers levels of money unless you're Ariel Charnas, I guess, or like Kiara Faragni. Angel, love her. She's a whole, I don't even consider her a blogger anymore. Um, so I think it's kind of is a weird position to be in where they have all this fame and recognizability, but kind of don't have a lot of the um, uh, buffer that like true celebrities have from fans. If anything, fans feel like you owe them everything because they're what made you famous, whereas celebrities got famous through a separate trade that they can default to when your career is your life and is opening up and is showing your family and is showing your house and your home decor and you want to like back off you can't because then you're losing your paycheck it's a very strange industry that is kind of new as in, in the last decade and i think it's going to be interesting to watch it over time as people get older people's families get older people's financial situations change and you just don't always think about the long game of this actually working when you set out to start it and i'm just obsessed with watching it go down because i want everybody to do well. But I also want our influencers to, you know, I hold them to a certain standard to provide a level of value that I think is important. And I want them to maintain a level of transparency. And I want them to showcase that they're using their wealth for just for more than just, you know, really expensive hardware on the knobs in their butler's pantry, or the tile backsplash of their laundry room that is separate from a mud room, which 
in my, you know, mere existence, I usually see them conjoined. But, you know, you need a laundry suite upstairs and downstairs with two washers, two dryers, and then a separate mud room because mud deserves its own room, apparently, in this world. I have no idea. <laughs> I could keep going. Anyway, guys, I got to hop off. I got to get to step in. It, uh, it was fun being back on the mic. It was fun rambling. A little serious, a little fun. I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know. If you want me to have guests back on, I'll shut up and just try to book more guests. And I hope you have a great week. I will be posting my Hamilton deep dive hopefully, hopefully this week on Patreon. I'm also going to do something fun for Patreon subscribers about potentially coming on the podcast as a fan. And uh, I just have a few things that I want to do to like further interact with you guys, especially a lot of you OGs that are like inside my brain and understand all the things I talk about that you could probably host this better than me at times. And uh, yeah, I just want to keep doing fun stuff, whether it's meetups or um, having people on or doing especially requested Patreon deep dives. You know, if you pay for Patreon, you're my priority. Let me know what you want. I will always listen to you. If you want to support the podcast, it's patreon.com slash be there in five F-I-V-E, not the number as always. And there are tiers from $1.295 to $5. The Diana Agron Taylor Swift deep dive is at the $2.95 mark. It's $3, which I know, like, it's another thing to pay for. And I only really want you there if, like, I'm actually doing something for your life and bringing you value. I don't want it to be an expense you scoff at or you can never decide if you want to pay. I I personally try to support the po- content creators whose podcasts I'm, like, running to, excited for, feel like I learned something from, feel better after listening to. If there's anything I do for you that's, like, positive and that would bring you joy to continue throughout this year um please please consider joining it means so much to me and it like really really helps and uh the more people get on patreon the more inclined i am to keep going i think i had a goal at one point if i could get 750 patrons i'd do two episodes a week because at that point it feels like an amount of money that makes this more of like a job and less of a, a free service and that justifies me spending the time on it whether it be a just patreon episode and it would be like a lot more unfiltered or deep divey or whatever it is or if it's to itunes episodes i'm not sure like if if that number grows i will i am growing the podcast i'll travel more to get guests i will do more episodes more deep dives it's just kind of my ability to gauge what people you know people are co-signing what i'm doing and it's worth putting investing and putting more into and i ultimately see the return so i just always like to take a minute to explain like what I do with that money, what it means, why it's important, and to get your consideration. But if you don't, if not everybody's in the market for that, and I totally understand. And if you want to rate, subscribe, review, that is so fantastic, more than I could ask for. Honestly, nobody's forcing you to be here, so God bless you for lending me your ear. And um, follow me at Be There in Five on Instagram. We're now on Spotify, so follow us the podcast on Spotify, the Be There in Five podcast. Please support our sponsor, The Farmer's Dog, changing tugboats and therefore my life. And maybe you think I'm a little bit more chipper on this episode, and that's probably why. They are awesome and so cool. Anytime people are supporting micro-influencers and working with me, I'm so grateful, and I really hope my audience shows them some love. So follow at The Farmer's Dog on Instagram. Go to thefarmersdog.com slash be there in five to get 50% off your trial. And prepare to be amazed by the level of ease and your dog's suffocating speed at which it flies toward the
the bowl of fresh cooked food. I could not even believe my eyes. And I will post an adorable video of Tugboat loving his food. Um, and yeah, so I hope you have a good week. Email podcast to be there in five.com with any feedback. Join our Facebook group. Total be there in five's total. <laughs> I do this to myself. Be there in five's totally casual, breezy Facebook group. Nicest, happiest place on the internet. The nicest thing anybody could have ever said to me. One girl last week was like, I, I, I sent like a thank you post out just being like, you guys are all really cool and respectful. And, you know, I just the, the Internet is such a cluster of madness and people fighting on posts. And really, in almost a year of having this group, granted, it's been kept pretty tight. And I really am kind of funny about the answers and figuring out if you really are a listener or not, because I don't I'm trying to prevent troll behavior. But I don't know. People just are really nice to each other, disagree in a respectful manner. It's typically very productive. Uh, and I just am so honored to have such cool people uh, be listeners and supporters and engaged audience members of this podcast. And what I the highest compliment I could have ever gotten is that I don't I never want to use people's names from Facebook. I don't want to like call them out. Um, a girl commented saying, you know, last week. I, may, I completely disagreed with everybody on a post and like it was fine. Nobody cared. I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Exactly. I don't care if you don't, if you have a different opinion. But if in the format of like, oh, it, I think this way and this is why and not like this is why you're a dumb bitch. Like, you know, there's a way to disagree without fundamentally offending or attacking people. And I feel so lucky to call all of you my own. Our intro song was Todrick hair, wait, nails, hair, hips, heels. Love such a great it's it's such a great getting ready song, such a great walking song. I mean, he's so talented. Love him. I can't believe he started on American Idol. Now he's best friends with Taylor Swift. I mean, talk about a true ex riches stories story in terms of the entertainment world. American Idol is not my favorite, and I just feel like why are people still going on it if we really don't have that many big stars? We have Carrie Underwood, we have Kelly Clarkson, we have Jay Hud. Fantasia Barino had her thing. Ruben Stutter, I'm sorry for 2004 because that was the year your career was effectively done. Clay Aiken's like now a congressman or something. I don't know. I, I'm just not feeling like this. That that's the best way for people to get famous. But I also feel like The Voice isn't doing a lot. I, I, I couldn't tell you a single person who's won The vo Voice besides Cassidy Pope. And that's only because I, I just have always found the spelling of her name to be particularly jarring. So that's why I find her memorable. For some reason... Upon, I was like, well, okay, if I introed with nails, hair, hips, heels, what would I outro with? It's like, I need, I was thinking like, okay, lip gloss, a Kiki Palmer, a hair, a little mix. Like, what do I do? And for some reason, what kept coming to mind was Teeth by Lady Gaga. I really like the beat of this song. I think it's from the Fame Monster. One of the most perfect albums ever. There's so many good songs off this album that just go unnoticed. Like, um, I love Love Game. Let's have some fun. This beat is sick. I want to take a ride on your disco stick. I love Starstruck. Um, groove slam work your back filter that baby bump that track I mean there's so many good beats good songs good dance music and that weren't singles and I just need to honor them so for today we will be recessing to the tune of Teeth by Lady Gaga and I hope you enjoy and if anybody has an extra ticket to her concert at the Sirius Pandora merger in New York let me know I, I, I will keep you good company and I am embarrassingly uh, participatory at concerts Anyway, guys. All right. Love you tons. And I'll see you next week. As always, let me know your thoughts and I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. Show me your teeth.
show me your teeth. Don't want no money. Shit's ugly. Just want your sex. Want your sex.